Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly look at the IMDb's top 250 and sometimes bottom 100 movies. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And I'm Philip. And this week we're discussing um, Jeremiah Chechik's 1998 movie, The Avengers. Masterpiece. Wonder- wonderful film that it is. We figured we'd mark this weekend the release of Avengers Infinity War Part 2. A lot of people are really looking forward to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> very, very excited about seeing the Avengers on the big screen. And we're and- going to insult them by discussing this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it. Next week we will be probably talking about Avengers Infinity War Part 2. But in the meantime... Um- we're trying to do a most distinguished gentleman. <laughs> to trick on our listeners yeah. to get them to 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 download uh, and, the episode and, promising and maybe, the Avengers uh, click play yeah. even still counts yeah totally does even if you turn off thirty seconds in but no the the reason that we're doing this aside from being incredibly cynical sarcastic and somewhat a little bit playful is because <laughs> just that a uh, just a tiny bit just a tad <laughs> yes a lyric yeah but uh, it's because when. When the IMDb changed the bottom uh, 100, we had a bunch of conversations with some of our contributors, asking them what their favorite films were on the bottom 100, what they'd like to discuss. If there anything that on the list that they wanted to discuss in particular, and we had this conversation with Phil, who is our first guest and still one of our most frequently recurring. Thank you. And Phil suggested The Avengers. <laughs> uh, this film, the 1998 version, starring Ray Fiennes, Uma Thurman, and Sean Connery. <laughs> I had not seen this film before, so I thought this All might. Right. Be, yeah. So we thought this might be a good idea. But before we jump into talking about the film in any depth, why, Phil? (laughs) Why? Uh, Because I like to watch people suffer. Um, I I had seen this before. I watched a view too just before we recorded. And a lot of of big moments coming up. I just looked over at you two to gauge reactions. And (laughs) they were glorious, may I say. (laughs) Andrew, you do good shock face. Just the jaw hangs. It's... What am I watching and why am I watching it? My um, life has taken a strange turn, to face it seem to say. <laughs> but like, so myself and Andrew haven't seen it before. You have seen it before. Do you remember when you first saw this? Did you see it on release? Or like, did you see it before it was like mythical as one of the worst films ever made? Yeah. Or did you come to it specifically with that level of expectation? You ask me this like it even warrants this kind of discussion. But here we are. The um, shortest episode ever. Eight minutes. Um, but no. Um, I, no, I saw it, I think, probably... When I was in, early, in my early teens, it just cropped up on TV. And um, I don't know. I think I vaguely remember liking parts of it for some strange reason. But I hadn't seen it in a long time. And like most teenagers, I must have been pretty stupid. So <laughs> I get figured, hey, it's on the list. It was on the list, I think, even before the bottom 100 was rejigged. I think it might be. It might be one of the old guard. Yeah. So I figured... Well, why not take an opportunity to revisit, see how wrong I, how wrong the whole thing is, and uh, drag some innocent parties along with me for the ride. Yeah, because this is interesting. Because I like, and and it's interesting when we had these conversations with people. And you can listen to some of them on the anniversary special that we recorded back last uh, November or last uh, October. A lot of the conversations, like people like, for example, Tony, um, and I think even people like Luke, were saying that. They have actually seen more movies on the bottom 100 than on the top 250. That's a sad state of affairs. Well, it's, wow. it, it's odd because it's kind of the in, it's the inverse for me. Um, so the like the bottom 100 episodes, I've obviously I've seen stuff like Batman and Robin, Street Fighter, and stuff like that. But mm. these are all discoveries for me. Like these are things like I haven't watched either. I haven't watched in years, or I haven't watched at all. Yeah, but this when is, you but when you see discoveries, uh, I imagine it more like John Hurt discovering the xenomorph egg uh, in the Alien. You know, it, it's <laughs> not. It's a surprise. Back. 
It's not a good one, but it's still <laughs> a surprise. But I mean, th- this is like, I have some very interesting and in inverted commas thoughts about the Avengers, but there is something. Oh, I can't wait. Kind uh, of like, it's, it's kind of thrilling to watch something that is unashamedly like. Poor. Poor and and like accepted as being unashamedly poor, and, people and still just watch it. having no expectations around it. Yeah, because we should we should talk about this. The Avengers, like it's based on the nineteen sixties British TV show. It is, and the, yeah, the ni- like you say, the nineteen sixties British TV show. It ran from sixty one to sixty nine. Yeah, with uh, Patrick McNee and various Honor Blackman was one of them. Honor Blackman was various uh, bits of crumpet, Dare I say? Because, you know, that's what this show is all about. Oh, posh people and totty and tea. Well, you know why Emma Peel is called Emma Peel. Uh, because she's uh, appealing. I don't know. Why? Uh, because when they were going to replace Honor Blackman's character, the memo that was sent out said they want a woman with man appeal. And one of the pe- one of the public, yeah, one of the publicity uh, agents just changed it to Emma Peel. And then said that line and said, oh, that's. That's really quite good. And was like, as names go, it's, I mean, it's, it's better than most of James Bond's conquest names, let's face it. Um, but the, even back in 1998, when this came out and saying that makes me feel quite old, um, who wanted this? A lot who of people. Asked like, for this? It's this a is a strange thing. thing. Like, you had a, a recent kind of Man from Uncle remake, but it, like, they, 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 they they release these um, remakes of these uh, 60s shows and they don't seem like they're really made for the the people who... Um, who watched, watched it. Yeah, who, who watched it back in the 60s. No. Nor are people like who clamoring. it's marketed towards going to be impressed that it was something yeah, from the 60s. Yeah, it, I think this the problem with remakes like this, they're basically too late to their own party. Like, who is this going to appeal to? To fans of the original show? No. To hip young things wanting some, you know, some exciting blockbuster? No, definitely not. Well, I mean... There are two, the two sides are competing and they just result in this horrific mashup. Which well, this is kind of interesting because I went, I did a tiny bit of research for this beforehand. Mm. And I was shocked, shocked, I tell you, to discover just how vibrant the online, like, fandom of the Avengers is. Apparently, when this was released in 1998, which is when the internet was still something... It was burgeoning. It was still burgeoning. Like, it wasn't in everybody's home yet. But at the time that this was released, there were something like 675,000 active members of the big Avengers fan site online. I think it's Avengers World. 675,000. This is in 1998. Are people setting up fake accounts to upload things? <laughs> it's not a new thing. It is not a new thing. Um, I this this God. astounded people because like that and this astounds is, me. And and this is the thing about the Avengers is that it's something that mainstream like culture has largely forgotten about. But it has these weird little enclaves of people who watched it, grew up, and created more art and sort of like fell. It's like that. Uh, you know, because it was massive when it premiered. Um, it was one of the first British shows to go over to America. I think ABC paid $2 million. Yeah, it was surprisingly big in the States. It uh, was huge. Yeah, it was much bigger than, say, the comparisons like The Prisoner or Doctor Who or any sort of those other six. I, I think British. it just appealed to a certain menta- a certain way of thinking that Americans had about English people. And that, you know, they all wore bowler hats and drank tea and were <laughs> extremely polite. Yeah. Which is kind of this movie's basic gags in a nutshell tea politeness and that's it britishness lots and lots of britishness oh quite well i think that explains why this movie ended up being made in 1998 because 1998 was around the same time we covered spice world with grace duffy and marion cassidy speaking of tories 
Uh, speaking Sorry, of... Sorry, no, not, not Grace and Marianne. You're right, Posh and Ginger. Yeah, you're right. It did come this kind of apex of Britannia at its, at its height. So between, you know, like I say, the Spice Girls, Phenomena, Blur, Oasis, Tony Blair, what yeah. have you. The things that define... Cool Britannia. The yeah. things that define cool, that Britain, Cool Britannia, at the end of the 90s. What a time to be alive. So you can see this why... This does not fit into that at all. This is... It completely the opposite. Kind of does because it looks like a I'm talking about purely in quality. Oh, terms. in terms of quality, no. But it, that said, though, Spice World is still garbage in my book. But that's me. <laughs> but it, it does have that same sort of weird American fascination because it's very clearly an American movie. But it has that weird American. We're just fascination. going to let that pass. What Spice World being garbage? <laughs> do we want to jump in on that? <laughs> you, you did the whole <laughs> podcast about it. You're not going down that yeah. road again. Um, that, hey, that's just my opinion. <laughs> but um, no, because it does have that same sort of like weird outsider sort of quality. And watching it now, watching it like watching it 20 years removed, because there was um, a host of stuff last year covering the, like with Spice World, where there were 20th anniversary screenings and stuff like that. There was a whole host of retrospectives of the Avengers 20 years after the fact. And it's interesting to excavate the film in some sense, because I think you have some idea of this as well, Phil. The Avengers, look, <laughs> it looks like a disaster. Um, like watching it, you get a clear sense that this is not a movie that anybody ever wanted to make just watching it. But behind the scenes, there was this whole unfolding drama yeah. that provides a whole host of interesting context this is, for it. Yeah, this is fantastic to read up on. Uh, I think even there have been entire books read, uh, written about it. But be- behind the scenes stories, um, they mostly result from after the fact. So... You know, the whole thing went through its usual casting and pre-production, production relatively straightforward. It was only when it came to the editing and post-production that this that, that they that the studio realized they had an absolute bomb on their hands. The first screening for Warner's executives was apparently a dead zone. Yeah, there's there's a whole host of sort of like speculate, and again, this is the thing where it's as you pointed out, it's after the fact. And nobody wants to take credit for a failure. Everyone's all like, oh, yeah. Let, let's offload blame for this. Yeah. Where, you say it was like, at post-production, they realized that it was <laughs> going to be a failure. It's like, uh, well... Uh, well, to be fair, what's on screen is not what was intended. This film has been butchered. What we watched is just the, the film, the 89 minutes. The original cut was 115 minutes. There is this that leg- makes a lot of sense. Doesn't yeah. it? Because this film is... Utterly, utterly nonsensical. Riddled with plot holes, inconsistent gaps. Edit the editing is atrocious. Oh um, yeah, but I, I'm not blaming the editor Mick Osley for that. Yeah. Not in any sense. This is the studio interference. Do you want to do a very over. brief, like, quick before we jump into the sports zone running history of like how this movie took shape and how we ended up with what we did? Okay. Well, long story short, as I say, uh, the production seemed to be straightforward enough. But it, it began in 1993. It uh, did. Don McPherson was brought on board. Um, he'd written a bunch of screenplays that had never been actually filmed, which is one of those things where Hollywood are like, we love your work. It's fantastic. We just don't want to make it. We're not going to make the movie, yeah. But we want you to write more scripts for us. So could you do that? So McPherson wrote this... He uh, passed out this Avengers script. Treatment in 1993. And it's kind of interesting, because again, we're going to talk about the plot more definitely get into the spoilers, but you can see how A, the movie is completely different from what McPherson planned. And B somebody didn't properly erase all of those pencil marks no. because the original pitch for the movie was going to be Emma Peel's husband mysteriously disappears and is murdered 
And so she goes on a rip-roaring rampage of revenge in which she has a psychotic breakdown. And that psychotic breakdown serves as an excuse for all the weird, like, 1960s surrealism Are that happens sure around Are you sure you haven't her. mixed up your Uma Thurman synopses there? No, no, no. It, this that started off sounding like Very Kill Bill. Kill Bill. But yeah, that's how it, that's how it began. Um, <laughs> and a lot of the stuff that we see, and we're, we won't talk too much about that, made it over, but with all the context for it removed. Yep. So it's like, whoa, all this stuff is very strange and very weird, it, but we're not yeah. going to explain any of that. Yeah, it's like I said, the film is completely butchered after a legendarily it, ter, uh, horrendous uh, preview screening in Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona um, the studio took the film back, chopped a, almost chopped over twenty five minutes from the film, and what you're left with, is, and also they pushed back the release date, uh, like about two months, yeah. and out came what we now have. And Noah's the Avengers. Well, the, the director in question... He Jeremiah was, Chechik. Jeremiah Chechik. Not the first choice. They offered it to David Fincher. He wanted it if he could get Charles Dance as John Steed. Come on, tell me you don't want I David want Fincher's that for, film. Um, they also offered it to Alex Proyas, director of The Crow. Fre- he went opted to make Dark City instead. Yeah, Wise which was choice. a good call. You can't really talk against Ray Fiennes, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you, know, no. you, you can Ray- imagine this, like, I'm... I'm sure he's going to be brilliant. Ray Fiennes yeah, accepted this role as Steed during the, late in the production of The English, English Patient, Patient just before he became the big star that he was. And that's why Warners were convinced to sign off and it was in part because they thought Ray Fiennes is an action hero? We want a piece of that. Yeah. Um, and then it was also offered to Nicholas Meyer who did Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 6 um, as well and he turned it down. But the yeah. thing is that... Uh, Jeremiah Chechik was... Uh, well, he was given it because, and I find this so strange, Warner Brothers were thankful for the job he did on Diabolique, the remake of Lady Diabolique from a couple of years yeah. previously with Sharon Stone and Isabella Gianni. It's terrible. Uh, so how he ended up with this is beyond me. Uh, is this the, the, the same Nicholas Meyer who did the 11% solution? Or the 7% oh. solution, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, which we both loved. Um, Sigmund Freud and Sherlock Holmes solve a crime together. So basically we're just saying... Oh, what could have been. Oh, what could have been. And this is the thing, because it was... So, they originally wanted uh, Nicole Kidman. They did, but she was committed to Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, yeah. Elizabeth Hurley met with Chechik, but he decided she's, she wasn't what he was looking for. It was offered to Madeline Stowe as well. She turned it down. Um, so, then Uma Thurman came in, fresh off her, her success with Batman and Robin. Yep, Uma Thurman, a marker of quality in Warner Brothers Productions in 1997 and 1998. Yeah, there's a great, uh, I think it was a Total film back when they were having an anniversary issue and they interviewed her. Uh, So what were you doing around the time we came out, our our magazine first came out? Hmm, I was either promoting Batman and Robin or shooting the Avengers. Boy, you guys (laughs) had a better year than me. Um, (laughs) But what happened is apparently there was like the, the issue with the film. Was that it was one, like, one? as if there's a singular issue? But apparently, so the film had a but had a bunch of champions in Warner Brothers at the time. The big right. one was uh, producer Jerry Weintraub. He had been trying to get this made for a decade, and yeah. I still twenty years on, I cannot understand for the life of me why. And Billy Gerber as well on the inside of the studio was yeah. pushing for it a lot. What happened was Warner's had a truly disastrous year in 1997 due to the twin releases of Batman and Robin and The Postman, Ouch. which one of which we'll be talking about on this podcast at some <laughs> point also you like Batman and Robin I do you? like yeah. Batman and Robin and we're going to talk about because I my god we're going to talk a little you're bit. the one oh there's just one of me 
Um, and then they, they also had like a number of huge projects have the bottom fall out of them. Mm. Tim Burton's Superman Lives starring Nicolas Cage, oh. for example, was supposed to be a 1998 release. Again, um, what could have been? What could have been? I Am Legend starring Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be a 1998 release as well. <laughs> and that fell through. Um, and so they were left with the Avengers. They fired um, Gerber. Mm-hmm. The guy who came in had absolutely no affection for the Avengers as a concept. He didn't understand why they were making this movie in the first place. Uh, check it. Um, uh, no, no, no. Check it was the director. Um, right. Check it. Oh, had the a, producer. Check it was already not shooting. Weintraub. Yeah, not Weintraub. Um, just the producer who came in. He's unnamed um, in a lot of these oral accounts. Hmm, um, that's probably for the best. That's probably for the best. But the thing is that he came in. He didn't like it. And according to Chechik. He scheduled, he was the one who scheduled the infamously disastrous test screening that Phil alluded to, yes. which was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, right? Yeah. It was, um, and it was recruited primarily from Mexican, uh, Mexican Americans who would have had no experience of the TV show and no connection to British culture in general. And they were sort of pulled together and asked what they thought of the film. People who had no, like, no real interest in anything vaguely British sounding. And the results were disastrous. Yeah. Chechik was sent back to the editing room with a number of instructions, some of which are spoilers, so we'll talk about them in the spoiler zone, but one of which was that he had to cut 20 minutes off the film. Um, and he did this dutifully. It was released. Warners did not screen the movie for critics before it was released, which always is always a, a bad sign. sign. They cancelled the premiere. Yeah. That's, which is an even worse sign. Yeah. And as I said, they pushed the release date back two months to August 98. Uh, it was supposed to be released in June, but at least Warner Brothers did have uh, the Michael Douglas picture of Perfect Murder to fill the gap. Do I remember what was a Perfect Murder? It was the remake of Dial M for Murder with Michael Douglas and Gwyneth oh, Paltrow. Was it any good? It's all right. Okay. This is long before you were obliged to watch movies, Darren. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like when Darren says, oh, I, I actually haven't seen this. It's yeah. Like, a surprise. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot better than The Avengers. Um, they stripped out Michael Kamen did a score for this originally. He did. He compared trying to score this film to trying to catch butterflies in a net because he kept getting so many cuts thrown at him. He couldn't and eventually he was dropped and replaced by Joel McNeely. Yeah, and Joel McNeely came in and did the score at the last minute. Famously, when Chechik was asked about Joe McNeely's score, his response was, he did what he had to do. Um, which is a wonderful, <laughs> like, the most wonderful backhand oh, compliment from a director. That's right. Assassins do what they have to do. Prostitutes do what they have to he do. He was just following Ouch. orders. Um, but yeah, so that's the background. This is how we ended up with the movie that we have in front of us. So do we want to ask, like, so Phil, we'll, you'll go first, right? Hmm. Do you think that this movie belongs on a list of the worst 100 movies ever made? Mm. Now, if you're talking about all films ever made, I'd be inclined to put it in just as an example of what happens when studio filmmaking goes utterly and irreparably bad. Yeah, why not? All right, Andrew. Yes, um, (laughs) I'd put it on the bottom 100. It's, um, It's... it's good in the sense that it's 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 bonkers and kind of makes makes no sense in that. So yeah, I, I, I would put this on the bottom one hundred. I think I I think I enjoyed it because uh, of of how out there and bonkers it was. I don't think you have much choice really. You have to try and enjoy it. Absolutely. Mm. And and I I, I I think the 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 kind of look of 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 shock <laughs> at a certain parts it of the movie. Wa- this it was so worth my journey here today just to watch you two react. Um, <laughs> 
there was one moment where I think we both ended up in giggles for a solid two minutes. Oh, I know but that I, moment that was. I think I think you could have had all of that bonkers stuff and and it, and it, and it worked very well. Mm. The 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 thing the thing that 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 made it bad bad was um, the the lack of context. I think, yeah, really. there, there were there were just uh, par- parts of it that 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 didn't seem to make very much sense. There was something that Darren quite liked, which is there were lots of lacunas. <laughs> lots of little gaps. Lots yeah. of spaces. Lots of gaps. Yeah, yeah. Lots, lots and lots of gaps. I think gaps it was very intentional by the filmmaker. <laughs> to, Ga- to, gaps to, in space, to gaps in logic. Where the audience could fill, fill in, in the gaps. Yeah. And make you so you they could bring you along on that adventure advent, adventure and then, uh, with uh, with Peel and Pete and Seal. Yes, and then Peel eventually and just abandon you in the middle of everything to jump to another yeah. scene. Yeah. Darren, would it I, be in your bottom 100, though? I, no, well, would it be in the bottom 100? No. No, it probably wouldn't. I have a... And this is kind of... You mentioned Batman and Robin. Yeah. This is very much a Batman and Robin-style disaster. In that it's a disaster that is utterly... Like, it's one of those movies you watch and you wonder how it possibly made it out. Hmm. How somebody, like, saw to give this, like, a rubber stamp and, like, let it out into the wild. I like the weirdness of it, and I, I like the bonkersness of it. It is awful, to be clear. The it's not even just the like the editing in terms of plotting that that makes no sense. The editing in terms of action scenes is really clunky and terrible. There's moments where characters are chasing one another, and it's very difficult to follow just linearly one cut from the next. The framing is not great. There's a sense that even if the film hadn't been cut to ribbons, it wasn't eccentric enough to pull off the weirdness that it was going for. Mm. But I still have a kind of a... I don't hate it entirely and I don't think it's one of the worst films ever made. I think the structure and the order of the story is very weird as well. Like, there is... I suppose we'll get into it in the spoiler zone, but a lot of their choices (laughs) about what to do when kind of didn't didn't really kind of um, make make any dramatic sense. Well, again, chopping 25 minutes out of your film will probably do that. All right. But let's get into that in more detail, shall we? Well, I mean, is it on your bottom 100, Phil? Your own personal one? Like, if you had a list that you personally curated of your own worst films you've ever seen? Oh, for... Unauthorised entry and giggles yeah why not okay andrew um yeah I, I i don't know if i'd watch it again though as 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 one of my kind of um go-to it, bottom one it wouldn't be a hate watch yeah like 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 I, the the way the way kind of i would watch the room like um yeah and enjoy over it, and yeah. over yeah, yeah yeah and just sort of devour it and then um would you recommend that people if they haven't seen it like i mean this is the opening weekend of avengers infinity war part two <laughs> Would you recommend if people haven't seen the Avengers from 1998, should they run out and see it? No, I would. It's 89 minutes, and there's some at least it's like, brief. Uh, incredible um, like, moments. Just a, a bonkers, like what what is happening? Don't <laughs> don't um, don't listen to the uh, podcast yes. before. Uh, before watching, watching it, it. Yeah. watch it, will just watch spoil it first. Yeah. yeah, because there, there, there's so much. There's a lot of not... things where, where, where you'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what's <laughs> happening and why? Like, I, I did some research for this podcast before we talked about it, so I knew some of the stuff that was coming, and I, I thought that that stuff was going to be the weirdest stuff in there. But no, 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 that stuff's just a little appetizer. Um, so yeah, this is a movie, it's weird that we're talking like, we're normally like, well, spoilers aren't really that important when we're talking about good movies. But when we're talking about this, it's like, go in blind. 
Just trust us. <laughs> okay, Just let it wash over. There, you. It's true. For I mean, for I mean, all its badness, there are some moments that are for, they're unintentionally glorious. And I think some of that is intentional. I think that, like, to a certain extent, yeah. but again, Absolutely. a lack of context only accentuates yes. the insanity. Yeah. And I think it's a short movie that feels short as well. Yes. That is true. Well, like, as we talked about, we watched Slenderman a little while ago and that felt interminable. Yeah. Could, well, I, could, I couldn't believe that it was... Uh, Under 90 uh, minutes. Yeah. Because it just felt like it was going and going and going. But at least The Avengers is brief. All right, so we'll jump then into the spoiler zone. So, Phil, what is The Avengers about for you? I like that you ask the same questions of the bottom 100 as you do the top 250. (laughs) We treat all of these movies with the respect that they deserve. I think it was one of the first (laughs) movies I saw that I realised, that I actively thought, this is not good. There's some things in it that are strangely compelling, but it's not good. It was... Probably the first notable bad film I can remember seeing. This is interesting because I've actually had this conversation with other people and it's worth asking like of Andrew as well. Do you remember what the first bad film that you saw was? Because I mean this would have been 1998 so this would have been when we were all quite young. I would so have I been about see... to, I mean when it came out or when I saw it I'd been something around 12, 13 at the time. Yeah because my own I think I mentioned on the podcast before would have been Batman Forever which I would have watched on a plane coming home from Ghana when I was eight. And I... I remember watching it and going I like Batman. I like Jim Carrey. Why is this not good? To be fair, though, I don't think Batman Forever is a bad film. It's not bottom 100 material. It's not good, but it's not bottom 100 material. This is Darren's own particular... Yeah, uh, my own book. uh, Again, this is... Take on things. It's just like... I know. This is... um, This is like... um, Oh, um, you know that... You know that Batman movie... That's awful? That's that's awful. I mean Batman Forever. Clearly. It's like no, Darren. You're you're conf- you're confusing <laughs> Batman the, and Roman. the names of those two movies. Yeah. yeah, but no, I mean, but it's just sort of because I was thinking because when you mentioned that this was the first film that you realized being bad, and it was a 1998 film, and I'm, kind of... I mean, like particularly bad. Oh yeah. I mean, no. I'm saying, of course, you know, we realize some most some films are better than others, but this is just one that really stuck in my mind because, like I say, there are things about it. That I appreciated, but on the whole, it was a friggin' disaster. Yeah, and I, I sort of—I was saying I had that experience with Batman Forever around the same time. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering, Andrew, do you have a similar sort of experience? Like, when was the first time you watched a movie and it was like, "This is bad," like actually bad, like awful, terrible. Just, just this morning, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while, while watching watching <laughs> Avengers. Um, this, I thought I had had it before. <laughs> but no. Not no. as bad as this, it's, anyway. Is this, is this the worst film you've ever seen? It's like a female orgasm. You think you've had it and then be like, no, no, now I've seen a bad movie. But is it so... Wait, hold on. I want to unpack that a little bit because this is the worst film you've ever seen. No. Oh, okay. Well, Good. like, like I... I um, it, 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 was, it was just very special because um, it's... I. I think a lot of it is that it's edited quite badly. I sw- like. Uh, we should we, mention we, actually before we came into this, you had never seen this before. I'd never seen this before. I, Your stance going into it was, I cannot possibly see how this would be bad. Yeah, because yeah. it's like um, Ray Fiennes 
Um, I suppose Uma Thurman's been in Batman and Robin. It and, couldn't be any worse. Yeah, but it, like I feel like in Batman it, and Robin, she knows that she's doing kind of like a, a sort of a camp, and she know she 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 knows it as well in this. And I don't think she's that bad in it at all. Yeah. Mm. Um, the the I think Sean Connery is 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 quite bad. Oh no. And, and now I mean, is the winter of your discontent. He oh. does. Ha- he does have a little bit of fun in it, but I don't think he's having as much fun <laughs> as, 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 as as he ought to be having. Um, mm. Yeah, with the, the, the um, there's like in, in, in incredible um, kind of costume choices by him as the villain. But uh, um, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know if it. <laughs> I don't know if it even is editing, because like there 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 are things where like well, this was always how the movie was because like um, it feels like um, the villains die in the wrong order. Yeah, things happen kind of um, at, at, in like in in at 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 the, at the wrong space. In and the movie, and you look yeah. at the movie, and you and and you think kind of like. No, it wouldn't make any. The, 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 the way the way the movie is made, you know that it was always kind of like choppy uh, and, and it, sort of all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because there is there is a lot of that like its structure is weird and not in a way where it's like chopped twenty five minutes off. Like the big villainous moment, which is the moment where the storm sweeps across London and the villain executes his evil plan, doesn't come at the climax. It comes at the end of the second act, which is a very strange choice. Because you then have to go and have this entire secondary confrontation with him on this island. And there's a whole host of weird things like that, even leaving aside little stuff like the uh, the map that's conveniently dropped out of Eddie Izzard's van to lead them on the way. Yeah. The fact that, you know, Uma Thurman just happens to steal the right snow globe, which we ha- which happens off screen, I presume because of an edit. There's a whole host of... There's like- a lot of stuff that just happens off screen and we have to assume was just yeah. lost in this 25 minutes. And I say lost, I mean lost. 25 minutes, we'll never see a director's cut. It is missing. Nobody knows where there it were, is. For, there was a petition in 2018... To, for fans of the Avengers who wanted the If directors. anybody can find it, ask Jeremiah Chechik, ask Mick Aldsley, the editor. Hell, ask Sean Connery. Maybe he's holding it for ransom. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people getting knocked out in this movie. <laughs> and not a lot. And, never, a lot and then wait, out wait, wait, waking up later. Yeah. 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 Uh, but what's weird is that, like, and this is, this is a really weird thing about the movie, is that the good guys really tend to kill the bad guys. Like, they machine gun them down. They throw them into pits. They zap them off into space in lightning. I don't know how. But the bad guys, like... And it isn't that the bad guys are just really crap at being lethal. The bad guys, like, seem to actively make a point of being non-lethal. Oh, yeah. It's like... It's like a last resort. Yeah. Like, they'll punch and they'll... But they won't actively, you know, like, draw out a knife and kill you. Yeah. It's very, very strange. Because it's like, Steed's peel... And the, the woman character who Alice. goes... Alice. Played by Dame Eileen Atkins, for God's sake. Are like incredibly lethal, unstoppable killing machines. But you get a sense that Eddie Izzard's, well, we knocked out the old lady. Eddie Izzard. That's, oh. that's enough, right? It's, yeah, th- that's, that's the thing I mean about... Like, there, there's, there's, there's these strange kind of um, hierarchy of villains in the movie. Because you, you have... Um, Peel has a twin. In this movie, she's a clone. Yes. yes. Um, and is the the only one, perhaps, who is a match for for Peel. And for Steed. For yeah. any of them. The so villains then, are they, routinely crap in this. 
utterly and rubbish. It, 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 like you, you've set it up so perfectly. Yeah. So you have to have you have to have the clone of Peel uh, defeating Steed, and then there being a face-off between Peel and her clone. Yeah. Mm. And the movie just doesn't do that. No. And it is, and 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 it's like there, there's so much in the movie that allows them to do that. Because you set up these sort of ancillary villains. It's like, well, we can kill them off quite early. Yeah. So like Eddie Izzard. He, <laughs> Who has is like it, one line in the film. Oh, yeah. It, I, I, it's a great line. But I, it's still... I, I've been kind of dancing around. What this, is that line one of my One of my huge bugbears with this film is the cast. So one of the reasons I was probably drawn to this film from the start is that Ray Fiennes is one of my favourite actors. Always has been, always will be. Unfortunately... If you have a fondness for any given performer or a given director or anyone like that, depending on the CV, that often means you will end up wandering through some crap for the sake of completion. So Fines, a fantastic actor. He's made some really great career choices all told. This is not one of them. Well, it's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit Stick. tight for money. Uh, <laughs> he was coming off the English page. I had just been stiffed by the studio. Um, he's, yeah, he is stiff in this, but I don't think it's his fault. To be honest, I actually think he tries to bring a bit of anger to the role, which I don't think would be there if it was any other actor. It, there are moments where he just shows a couple of flashes of actual angry enthusiasm underneath the underneath the sort of yeah exterior. but on, but other than that it's bowler hats and stiff suits and tough to fantastic suits, by the great way. suits, yeah. um, and great tweed. Yeah, and some wonderful umbrella stuff. Like, it's, we should note before we go on, apparently, like, and this is one of the things that I like about Fines as an actor. I mean, like, we've, we've talked about Fines quite a lot doing, like, jobbing for money almost. But, like, almost, but, at least, but when he does it, he seems to be having fun. That's with it. it, exactly. Like, because I, I was having this discussion with somebody else about other actors who have done jobs for money that they're particularly famous for who resent it. Sean Connery might be one such example mm-hmm. with James Bond. But, like, even, say, Robert Pattinson with the Twilight movies, where there's a sense that he's ashamed of the work that he did that made him famous. Fines Fine. Fine. Yeah. Fine has actually said in relation to this film, he says he considers something like a Medal of Honor to have a stinker like this on your CV. Yeah, and he's Why talk- not. It makes a- the other stuff look even better. There's a wonderful like Guardian interview where he's like, "Well, nobody knows they're making crap, darling." Um, and when I showed up for work every day, it wasn't like I resented it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and he's talking <laughs> how like um, it was great fun on the set. Like, cause, so for example, Chetik recorded a birthday message to Fines from Sean Connery in character as James Bond. Which is like a level, like that's that suggests that that's like, the coolest birthday present ever. Yeah, um, which that's is fantastic. And Fines apparently loves it, and he talks about how like when he's doing stuff like, and I think you mentioned this with Harry Potter, where yes. stuff like when he's interviewed about the Elder Wand, and he's like, well, I think what, what's his quote from about the Elder Wand? Where oh, Marianne like, was telling. Oh, Marianne, sorry, Marianne was saying basically, yeah, the the Elder Wand. Well, it's it's the one to have, dear. Um, <laughs> but um, so his behind the scenes yeah. stories on Harry Potter are just an example of why I love Fines because he's just yeah. absolutely having a blast and I can imagine this would be the kind of film the Avengers that is that you would have a bit of fun on that set because everybody's in these really <laughs> silly costumes doing silly things and again it's a surprisingly strong bunch of actors yeah. again I'm coming back to this it really is a bugbear that mind that so many of them get wasted Fines is about the only one I'm willing to let off the hook because I think he's trying and he's visibly having a bit of fun with it Thurman is not the right actress for this part. Yes. She's, she is definitely too stiff. She was cast at the last minute um, I, and they didn't have a chance to do a chemistry read and stuff like that with yeah. Fines. Like I said, there were a number of actresses who were considered or turned down 
and uh, yeah so she did kind of step in at the last minute and it doesn't work her the chemistry you would find is virtually non-existent i mean like there are some really really terrible like howling like, bad exchanges is it meant to them. be flirting is it meant to be suggestive oh yeah it is it just comes across as awkward yeah really really awkward you'd better stay here with me is that wise well you'll be safer here we can talk things through an official debriefing no interruptions you live alone no mrs steed since you ask mrs steed lives in wiltshire my mother i had you down as a creature of habit a bachelor's life it's worked quite well until now don't tell me you never met the right girl well there's always the exception that proves the rule quite you're exceptional in many things but duty comes first shall we make a start a time and place for everything now is definitely the time and the place too tight push yeah, it's all, it's all these weird kind of conversations where where the subtext of it is is like um, they really want to have how, sex. How yeah. how is your cock? I have an erection, yeah. and it's like I noticed. <laughs> yeah, they're they're boing. They're, they're, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, like when when you imagine like what the double entendre is. Oh, this is, is beyond is, double. This is, is meant, triple, is, quadruple entendre. Is meant to like kind of. Well, what that's meant to represent oh, the, like, the, the, what, are they, <laughs> what are they trying and they're to not do? even guilty of the worst ones that has to be oh, Connery. Connery one should never fear being wet oh no that that comes great with you could have a good 10 inches overnight one of rain never, of no, rain it should be absolutely clear oh the, yeah Connery is of several helpings of ham and cheese do we yeah. want to talk a little bit about Connery then because I mean yeah. like, the thing about Connery is fa- like how Connery got the role Chechik had his heart set on Connery from the outset. Warner's told him there's no way that Connery will do this. Yeah, they actually suggested Michael Caine. He was in the running for quite a while. Oh yeah, well there's the famous story where Chechik flew out to Spain to meet Connery. And Connery was like, well, I'm kind of interested. Apparently, like, the scene that sold him on it. Do you want to guess what the scene that sold him? The teddy bears. Please say it's the teddy bears. Phil got it in one. The teddy bears! He loved the teddy bear idea. In fact, there were more teddy bears in the original draft. There were more scenes of Sean There were more scenes in general because his role wasn't that big originally. They had to beef it up. Um, And famously, um, how he got actually cast was Chechik was leaving. Was leaving the villa after this nice conversation. Sean Connery was like, well, I'll have to think about it. And apparently Chechik turned around to him as he was leaving and said, look, I really need an answer for you. Tomorrow I'm going to ask Michael Caine. (laughs) And, And that was the point at which Connery was like, I'm in. <laughs> wow, it's a dick measuring contest with Michael Caine. Who says actors don't have egos? Sean Connery is. Let there be no bones about it. He's awful here. He's absolutely dreadful. This, I think, this was one of a few films he made around the same time. I think Entrapment came yes, out the following and year. And The Rock was the year before. The Rock it? came out in '96. Yeah. So he was busy, but this was actually the film. The reaction to him in it and the film in general actually drove him away from filmmaking until The, the League of Extraordinary, Extraordinary Gentlemen. Gentlemen. At which stage he quit acting for good and he hasn't been on screen since. So he didn't complete the trilogy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like this, The Extraordinary Gentleman 
and, and an even worse movie <laughs> somehow but, um, but I mean this is this is the thing about it because apparently Connery like despite having a reputation for being really difficult to work with from anybody who's worked with him mm-hmm. um, what you get out of the directors who work with him on this and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is that Connery apparently had great fun on the sets of both movies um, and apparently really really enjoyed himself as I recall except like, on the League of set of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen when he didn't even want to talk to his director really I thought, I thought that he was no, very Norrington, excited about the action Stephen Norrington ah. hated him they okay. hated each other and uh, there was, I think there was a point where they were only communicating through AIDS that's fantastic yeah uh, this clearly isn't the the case of the Avengers because Connery does seem to be having a bit of fun but the only problem is it seems to be at the expense of everyone else including the audience most of all the audience I think there's something interesting here and that I think I suspect that what Connery is doing here is a large part the sending up of James Bond like especially the sending up of the villains he's playing it's his chance to play the villain that he never got to be but it's not even just the villain I suspect that Connery is having a bit of fun at the expense of like being James Bond and being so, like, because that's where you have the you could expect a good ten inches overnight, or um, you know, one mustn't be afraid of being wet. But the thing is, when this was made, it was so long after he had been James Bond, and he's gotten all grey and much older, and it just like I can't even connect this Connery to the Connery it's of like the never Bond. Say years. never. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the closest. And even the, like he already made his Bond spoof with Never Say Never Again. So, <laughs> what was the point? I don't know, I just, uh, like, watching it. around the same time as um, Austin Powers as it, well. Yes. Austin Powers came out the year before. This, yeah, this yeah. was around the time when Austin Powers was very much in the cultural Where zeitgeist. Liz Hurley was asked if she wanted to be uh, Peel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I already wore a cat suit. And I'm not going doing that again. I think she made the right choice. Um, I think it's, so. Oh. Well, this is, again, yeah. this is that weird sort of British fetishism in American culture around the same time. The only issue is that this doesn't seem to be... Because it, it is a very consciously Britishy film in that it like shots of Big Ben, shots of London Bridge, but tea in the car, a car yeah. that serves tea. It's only the cliches of like if it was a point that um, Britain, England in particular, could be offended for cultural appro- by a cultural appropriation, this would be it. It's every possible cliche: tea, Big Ben, bowler hats, cat suits, red telephone boxes, yeah. umbrellas, posh accents, the works. There's- there's a great bit at the start where um, Steed's character is is um, is w- walking through a little village, beating yes. up the working class. Yeah, it's like everybody <laughs> in the world. Yeah, everybody in the world is in their place. Yeah, they're uh, everybody's become blood hungry. It's ridiculous. It, of course, it's they're, just a training sequence in the end. Yeah, but it's so they're, silly. There, um, no, no one is above suspicion. There is no such thing the as the milkman. The milkman, the, the mechanics, the little old nannies with their mm. babies. The only ones that want welfare. I kind of wanted killer nuns, but they couldn't even give us that. Oh, the Church of England is complicit. I think is, is the argument the film is making in terms of this. It's, you could never. Uh, I do like that he never even considers the possibility that nuns could be machine gun wielding, despite the fact the woman with a pram. Father um, Ted was right. We Protestants are up to no good as usual. But um, no, because there is there. It's weird, and what's really strange about it is that it exists in the context of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Yeah, this has been just after Tomorrow Never Dies came out the following year. Because there's the moment, like after the train, because the training seems like a sequence from um, was it The Living Daylights, the 
opening scene of Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Where it's like the training in the Potcombe Village sort of thing, except it's a British Potcombe Village. Uh, Potemkin Village, apologies. Um, Darren's pronunciation strikes again. I was wondering, what what are you saying? <laughs> what was I'm, still not, I'm still not sure. What was he even trying to say? It's like your celebrity impersonation. <laughs> yeah. um, who, is he do- who is he impersonating at this moment? I That's think Connery like, might have been in there earlier. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. It's why he sound like Michael Caine. It doesn't Kane. matter if, 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 if it's Freddie Mercury or Sean Connery. It all sounds like Britain. <laughs> when we do, when we do That's a really good Freddie Mercury. <laughs> now I want to hear, and I want to hear Bane singing Bohemian Rhapsody. But like, because it does have these weird touches that like the Bond movies played entirely straight, and it's not sure whether this is playing them straight as well. Because you have like after the training, you have like the moment where, and you have him walking up. It's like, uh, well, are we ready for the enemy? If there even is an enemy anymore. Oh, yeah. but the, the um, in that scene as well, there's the uh, two fifty trope of inappropriate smoking. We not see smoking the nuns, nuns. In, yeah. the, in the background. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, there was a moment when I think Mother was smoking a cigarette, and Andrew instinctively reached for his bait. That's the power of sub- the subliminal advertising. I suppose, in case I missed it, there's a, a fantastic moment in the kind of like climax of the movie where Mother gets knocked down on his wheelchair, <laughs> and we, we we cut back to him, and he's at this point covered in snow, and but still kind of like having a fag. Yeah, <laughs> having amazing. a fag like. Get the balloon, Steve. Don't mind me. Uh, coming, if I may, coming back to the casting. Yeah. Jim Broadbent, what are you doing? <laughs> Fiona Shaw, you'll be in any old crap, but still, what are you doing? It's tremendous. He has all of this kind of like uh, crumbs and dandruff on, on, on his coat for the entire day. Three years later, Jim Broadbent would win an Oscar. Big jump. <laughs> it's, it's quite a journey for us all. Yes, um, indeed. But I mean, like th- this is the thing where there's, and then there's the fencing scene as well, which is like you, you wonder like where they watch that for die another day and we're like yes this is what we need this is what we need we need awkward fencing and more terrible innuendo yeah. uh, it's like, my my father always wanted a boy oh really i failed to do the connection so did he quite indeed mm, yes but oh. you also see a lot of awkward exposition <sighs> there's always the exception that proves the rule question quite. mark um, <laughs> and the answer is always quite the the, ba- the banter is awful, but Thurman and Fines have no chemistry whatsoever, They're, which makes it worse. Oh, it's like okay. I say, I think Fines is trying, but in those scenes, he is wo- he is more wooden than a thing that's made of wood. It's, it's awful. It's I, I just don't think it, it, it it's very well written or gets anywhere. No. They, they have several scenes that are kind of the same, yeah. but there's no sort of like development of no. of. of of anything happening. No, whenever they, they get to kind of other. fancy each other from the very beginning. Yeah. And there's no sort of indication uh, of anything. Yeah. Or, or, or the only indication kind of... is this terrible dialogue, which they are unable to sell because they have no chemistry. And the resulting, the result is that when they finally do get to kiss, something that Stephen Peel never did in the show, by the way, it was always a platonic attraction. Well, I mean, it was implied that he spent the night there, from what I recall, several yeah, times. Yeah, but it was always yeah. kind of played it around was never with the never on camera. And it, so when they finally kiss, it's like, well, that makes me feel absolutely nothing. It's the most wooden on-screen <laughs> kiss I've seen in so long. I don't long. think it's supposed to be platonic. I think they're supposed to be um, an English married couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, because they've been separate beds. Yeah, yeah. Um, they probably are. Don't, don't display over. affection in yeah. public. 
and banter over whatever books they're reading in a very pithy fashion no. um, as foreplay. But yeah, there, like there, there's a lot of that in there that's really, really strange and off-putting. And what's really, really uncomfortable is not only the fact they do it repeatedly, but that they continue incessantly. Like these like flirtation banter sequences where people just make wry observations. Yeah, yeah. Ciao. Um, yeah, and every time one came around, I just kept thinking, great, more of this because it worked so well the first time. Yeah. But I mean, what's interesting though is like, you're setting up this dynamic between like Steed and Peel. Hmm. But the only, like, the first thing that you learn about Peel that isn't like her job description as somebody who like investigated controlling the weather at Prospero is that she has a husband who was a test pilot who died over the Amazon. Which is a very strange like introduction to a character given that it's A, never explored again, never really mentioned. And, you know, kind of means that she's defined by like that dead husband for the rest of the film even so though they never mentioned even it. though she never mentioned it in any of her flirtations with steed it's like so my dead husband who i don't think about because it's been a long time and i'm happy to have this weird english flirtation is somehow the most important thing that you established out me in exposition even though we're never going to mention it again yeah um this is well a, that's a holdover i think from the original script yeah the original script had more about uh, from what i read is that peel her husband and i think his brother were all involved yes. in the Incidentally, we haven't really mentioned the plot, so I might as well just do it here, because why not? Um, there is some handy exposition. Yeah. There's like people on the phone. It's like, yes, Prime Minister? Yes, yes I know. Minister. I've seen it's, it. It's yeah. happening. Don't she worry, I've down. dispatched let two me agents, let me just a man tell you, and a woman. Let me just tell you what you already know. But the original, I, I think the original plot was basically that she, husband and brother, were working on this weather shield. Yeah. And that the husband and brother were actually killed in some kind of explosion. She barely escaped. And that this is years later. Yeah. And that it was supposed to play more of a part in the final script. Uh, but a lot of it was lost, I guess, in rewrites and whatever remnants of it that were supposed to suggest that Peel is clearly suffering with some kind of yeah. PTSD or mental illness as a result. Because there's a really, is lost in the butcher. There's edit. a really strange moment later on where they're ha- like, this is after Steed has like seen Peel with her clone together. Oh like, yeah, the in clone. the same space. Like yeah. he knows that this isn't a delusion that she's having. They have an exchange where he's like, "Well, your profile says that you are psychotic, dangerous, and prone to flights of fantasy." And she responds with, "Is that what you really think of me?" And he doesn't say no because I've seen the clone and you together and can understand that your clone actually rationally exists and this cannot possibly be a delusion. He says, "Just my type, Miss Peel." And you're like, "What? What is the?" point of this scene why are you suggesting that this character has like a post-traumatic stress disorder and that's just steed, to disavow it and like that's the thing is that steed also has like uh you know i did have orders to kill you and she's like really oh yeah like, tell her that that <laughs> makes sense but it but that's another holdover from the the earlier version of the script where steed did have orders to kill her that but it make more, like more more sense it's like peel is at large <laughs> right yeah and you have to you have to track her down and then when he tracks her down, he realizes it's a clone. Peel is no that that Peel isn't the isn't the villain here. Yeah. Instead of doing that, they have Peel um, come in, and it's like it seems that you've committed a major crime against the state. You're our major suspect. We, we want, want you to lead the investigation. Very <laughs> sensible. Um, but yeah. then again, this film makes no sense from the start, even leaving aside any logic in the edit or the narrative. They schedule a meeting for Mrs. Peel to meet Steed at a gentleman's club, to, which doesn't allow women in, despite the fact that, you know, she's a woman. So what was the point? So what are you, what? And, 
And you get that wonderful shot of Steed in a steam room reading a newspaper. Reading the Financial Times. Reading the Financial Times. Again, we're talking about Tories, aren't we? But despite the fact that everyone knows it's impractical to read a newspaper in a steam room. But anyway, that's the one issue we have in the same thing. Yeah, It's all the pages are stuck together. You're waiting for you're waiting for him to go, well, it's a bit soggy. Yeah. It's a little bit limp. There's a big thing in this movie about... And 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 it works, I guess, about how much of a hunk Ray Fiennes is. Ray Fiennes was the he was a hunk, and yeah. the people. The thing I've seen was still is a lot and of the, ways. The, he's a, Ray Fiennes is a very debonair, suave kind. Would of you guy. say he's a fine-looking gentleman? Um, I guess oh, I, you're kind. Of, you're asking the wrong guy here, to be honest. Okay. The stuff, the stuff, uh, <laughs> the stuff. Sexualizing Uma Thurman though is always really weird. Yes, like, it, like it's yeah. it's always like Sean Connery doing like a uh, Bill Cosby, like kind of. Well, and yeah. It's, it's uh, and and uh, like, like try, here, trying trying to trying to date raper yeah. and undress her well, again, and, 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 the, and then the doorbell rings. Yes. Yeah. Like, okay. I've got I've got like, two things it. to say he's on that. He's introduced like putting his hand around her neck, and that's a perfectly normal thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think like, they're trying to set him up as villainous in so many senses, not just the fact that you know he's putting his hands wherever he wants. It's still it's still creepy though. And but I, I guess and it, I suspect a large part of that though is that the film and Connery himself are playing with this. Like per sixties Bond persona, where sixties Bond was get like, away with was that. quite rapey, um, but like and this just takes it to an even further degree. And there's stuff with with uh, with Steed and Peel where you're sexualizing Peel, where there's a whole thing around the boots. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that, tight, very long Push drawn it. out, and uh, like it's, the, still... it's kind of. It, could, you, could you try putting it in slower? Um, yes, just. Zip it up there. Anyway, no, sorry, continue. Yeah, it, it's just more of this really silly, awkward, sexual banter and flirting, which, again, doesn't work because it's just so silly. And, and, just and there's so no chemistry. There is no chemistry. None of the kind of, like, sex appeal of Peel uh, is is in any kind of um, context in which she's kind of, like, powerful or anything. No. There, there, um, it's kind of like her... Um, there's all of that weird, uh, weird stuff where she's like, um, like I say, where she's where she's passed out, or, or, or where she's we're, tied to a thing with her eyes of... held open in sort of like an Alex de Burr sort of way, like she's tied down, she's on the bed, and Connery's about to unzip her and stuff like that. There's also the fact, and we're glossing over this, that like Alex, that August de Winter has apparently cloned himself a perfect copy of her. Why can't he make do with that? Well, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the uncomfortable... Just like, being so, practical. Um, but God, it's weird. It's, no, we're, <laughs> we're introduced to De Winter... Um, Homestead, yeah. Uh, when, yeah when, when they're visiting De Winter, he's, he's playing this organ <laughs> and, like, gurning ferociously. He, he, like, oh, like he's about to actually eat the damn organ. Yeah. And the next thing, it pans up, and there's a picture of a woman who... It's Duma Thurman. But there's, it's never explained. Is that his wife? His mother? Is what? Yeah, it's it's very. Is it Mrs. Peel? How does he know her? What the well, hell? I mean, you you, and I don't want to make any defense of this film. To be clear, if he's fascinated with weather, she helped design like the weather shield. It's possible that he would have an interest in that. But it's never explained no, or articulated. It isn't. It isn't. Um, there's and, just, and I I doubt that was lost in the edit. I think no. that's just a massive narrative gap. The, clearly, whatever. 
changes were made at the direction of the studio to the script. They never actually bothered to update all the uh, the uh, to details drag everything around else it. with it. Yeah. yeah. Some, something I really hate in movies as well is um, lazy science nonsense. You mean photons and protons and antimatter? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I heard the word antimatter in this, I thought, "Oh, now it's falling apart." <laughs> yeah. It's like um, protons and ions are um, are they 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 can't meet. It's like that. That's not how science works. <laughs> you're sciencing wrong. Yeah. You're uh, the the. It's, it doesn't it doesn't really kind of uh, make make any sense. No, they you know? could have they could have actually just made the film a less painful experience and made it faster by just have someone say, "Can you explain all this to us, Mrs. Peel? It's just gobbledygook." Quite moving on. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you get the sense that that would be the thing to do because there's a lot of like there's a lot of conscious nonsensical whimsy in this movie. Some of it works, some a lot of it doesn't. Yeah, the the, the strange thing about this film, and I don't know where Chechik is coming from with this, there's like almost like attempts at surrealism yes. in the film, and they just adds I mean, to this clear, fever dream, much. this fever dream atmosphere that the nonsense around uh, of the script is. And- I, I actually quite like and, and Chechik has talked about this he's argued that like if you want to watch the version of the Avengers that was released the best thing to do is just turn off the sound and look at the pictures because there's a like there is an almost endearing surrealist polyhood that's carried over from the show in the 60s but yeah, the, the show Brit- had that yeah, definitely and particularly British television in the 60s like and you can tell even watching it that it's not just drawing from the Avengers it's drawing from a cultural memory of like British weirdness and so you have British, for example it- you have for example the peacock which is a reference to the prisoner the prisoner like, for yeah, example there, there you reference- have the phone box in the middle of nowhere where it shouldn't be which is Doctor Who you have the moment where Rafe finds comes out of like what's effectively a cupboard into what should be the British countryside but instead is this winter wonderland with sleigh dogs in it and that's Narnia basically of course it is it's not just British stuff it's also like things like Lost in Space where basically they had to paper over their limitations in their budget and just injected nonsense so you know you could land on a foreign planet and suddenly there's like uh, a Viking heroine singing soprano uh, on a horse on another planet you know it it is all born of that kind of 60s not that nonsense of the 60s tv shows which are born up by their limitations and budget and just going for broke doctor yeah. who is all about that yeah. um all I these mean, like shows it, like you mentioned it's worth noting even for example like that potemkin village sequence that we're talking about steed walks through one of the doors and it's very clearly a film set as well like it's got the little boys oh, yeah. propping it up like that that sort of aspect of surrealism like appeared I mean, appealed to me the famous sequence bears I mean, like the, the, the teddy, teddy bear sequence picnic, which is like and this is the this is the scene that sold like um, Sir Sean Connery on the film. Yeah, and this is the scene where just before it came along, I looked right at you two. I watched both jaws drop, and it was wonderful. Do we have to call him Sir Sean Connery? Well, he's I, 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 no, no, I, I sure, remember, sure. I remember one time living in England, being told like um, I was working in a hotel, and it's like um, this guest um, um, must must be called um, what was it Lord. It's like I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Just on general principle. Yeah. Not my lord. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not my lord. I have one lord and it is Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> or maybe you could have gone the other way and taken the piss. Oh, thank you, my sweet lord. <laughs> but yeah, like there is like there's this and I kind of like that aspect of it. I also like that so much of it is based on terrible, terrible puns. August de winter. The bees that attack using stinger missiles. 
Um, I should have known you'd love this. Oh yeah, there were like there were parts of it that I was sort of. Sir August sisters, mother named April, sisters May, June, July. Yeah, oh, and there, there's that sort of, uh, or the fact that the entire plot is anchored around the idea that August de Winter wants to create a second Cold War or a hot and cold war. Um, and I was yes. like, this is this is kind of like this what is a movie is that he talking about. By the way, no, I know I <laughs> no idea. <laughs> no, it's, uh, like they, Lost they say, the it's like, oh, you you believe in that because he corrects her. <laughs> yeah, she says Cold War. It's like no, I'm a. I'm like some weird uh, weather guy. So I call it hot and cold. Uh, what? And, and she's it's like, like you, you, about you believe in that. So she's heard of this before. Yeah. It's like, and there's this no is, context. This is, this is entirely something that he is espousing on his own. <laughs> and it's like, um, but it's like, oh, you believe in that. Of course he believes in it. He's the only one who believes it. Yeah. And there's also like the moment, like the bit where Peel is captured, which is very, very like rapey and very, very creepy. And also like weirdly tonally off where he has to go answer the door. Um, yeah, but first, the we know he has manservants. Why? Why isn't one of them answering the door? But she, she, like, she runs off and she escapes. But it's into this weird Penrose step sort of sequence. Yeah, yeah which I, makes no sense. And you're imagining like Christopher Nolan sitting there with a notebook saying, <laughs> "I can make this work." His, <laughs> his, the, their introduction to each other as well, where it's like, um, um, uh, uh, oh, oh. He, he's, he's, he's like talking about. Uh, um, he's uh, getting a boner off the names of clouds. He's Cum- like well, cumulus, yes. sure. Auto cumulus. Oh yeah. Cumulus. Oh. <laughs> Auto cumulus simulation. Yeah. Um, sorry, go. On. Yeah. No, it's just so. It's, it's so like, silly. There's the moment where he presents his flower to her and asks her to touch it. Touch it. it. Like, please, please touch it. Please touch it. <laughs> I'm not touching anything of yours. Your flower or anything else. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, but I, I kind of like I. Essentially <laughs> says. Please touch her. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since anyone's touched it. Um, but I actually, I like, I do like that sort of, and the weird recursiveness where she's in the room and she smashes the thing and she runs out and she runs back in. And like, none That's... of this makes any sense in terms of plot. None of this ties in any way to like the mm. rest of the film as a whole. But I admire the fact that there's a sense that the film might have been trying to do something. Again, it's try- so... aiming at for that sense of yeah. surrealism that might have seen it over the line had it been even a little bit more coherent. Yes, that's it, exactly. Unlikely, but you never know. Uh, but instead, you get it sutured to this weird 90s superhero plot. Like, And again, you can tell that this is a 90s plot because the entire plot is global warming. So like, he, he has a, a weather machine, but he also has... Um, like all cloning. this, like uh, cloning and illogical architecture. <laughs> like it, it's bending the it's kind of rules of, of the universe. Of yeah. the universe. It, it, it's in, really, really, it's yeah. really daft. Once you boil it down, he, he has weather controlling technology. He has cloning technology. He is clearly ridiculously wealthy, and he's all doing it all for money. Yeah, he wants people I, to buy. He wants nations to buy their weather from him. I think the key to this movie is that the, the, it, it doesn't take place um, at all in in this universe. It's not asking us to suppose that, like, say it's our universe here, but suppose there is this ministry and there are also these villains. Yeah. It's like, oh, also there are invisible people. Yeah, no, not, nothing is kind of like a, a grounded. This is Colonel a, Jones, by the way. Yeah, who says, who's, don't worry about me being invisible. Aside from that, I'm really quite normal. Uh, invisible Jones is instantly played by Patrick McNee, yes. the original, yeah, the original John Steed. Steed. Um, and apparently, again, 
he was tickled by that cameo. It wasn't like they didn't want to put him on screen. He was like, the best thing you could do is give me a cameo where I don't actually appear on screen. So they made him invisible. It was his idea. I I think he lucked out. I do love the idea, though, that he's also clearly a nudist. Um, like yeah, it's everything. There's no clothes on him. It's just a pipe, like a pipe and a thing. And it's like talk, <laughs> talk to my pipe. That usually helps. Yeah. Yes, quite. Um, um, can I also point out one thing, Colonel uh, Jones? We need to talk. HR would like a word, please. Um, <laughs> you notice how like this film is almost entirely in London. Does anybody notice that there's nobody on the streets of London? The city is empty. It's incredible. Like, well, like it, clearly it, they just shut off all these sections to film a few moments from uh, or a few sections of the city to shoot a few moments for the film and just had to clear the streets. There is nobody on the streets of London. It's the strangest uh, thing. Again, I thought, what is this, 28 days later? I, well, I quite like that because it captures, again, that weird 60s-ness where you wouldn't have extras in shots like that. As you point out, for budget reasons at the time. Mm. But it makes the thing seem... Like when Kirk goes down to an alien planet and there's always only named characters there, for example, which yeah. is very strange. But it just that's fine for a show that maybe is set in the 60s, but this is clearly a present-day thing just with a few throwbacks. That does not work. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the big issues with the film is that it tries to take this level of surrealism and weirdness. And run with it. No, no, but and then impose like a regular structure over. Like, for example, you have like these little like legends that appear that tell you who these characters are when they're introduced. Because heaven knows they can't introduce themselves. But also because like the movie seems to assume that knowing that mother is the head of the ministry will make the movie make any more sense whatsoever. It's like a Warner Brothers exception. It's like, you know what? The the film has some logical gaps in it. But I feel like if we tell people that this is John Steed, that'll solve a lot of our problems. Well, like mostly in the movie, there's just kind of like overtures to things. Like they the, they they do that classic thing in in movies of 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 chess, where it, no there's no sense of kind of um, chess is a smart person's game. Chess yes. is a smart person. The- Even chess movies. Like I recently saw um, in Pawn Sacrifice. That's, That's the one with um, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. yeah, and they 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 don't they don't really have uh, chess in the movie. As in, like like you you the. You can't see the board. They do that thing... Uh, because they assume people don't know how to play chess. Or exactly. aren't interested in it. Yeah. yeah. But if 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 a person was interested, it's like um, it wouldn't no mean anything you, yeah. to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just a little trivia note. Uh, the chess moves that Steed and Peel play in the movie are the same moves that are played uh, by the characters in the Blade Runner. Which has, ah, it, there are actually a few ties there are to Blade, a few Runner. Blade Runner. Most Senate. notably when in the climax, the ridiculously limp climax with Connery and Fiennes dueling. And Fiennes is dangling over a ledge and uh, Connery looks at him and goes, time to die. <laughs> I just, it's not often I say, where's Rutger Hauer when you need him, but it needed him there. Yeah. All these moments will be lost like tears in artificially generated rain. Oh, but like, there's a lot of them. When you're talking about like chess, then the way the movie uses chess is like... It doesn't show you chess. It doesn't hasn't doesn't have any interest in chess beyond like the audience knowing chess is what smart people play. Steed and Peel are playing chess. Therefore, Ergo, they are smart. smart. Yeah, and also all the talk of protons and ions. Yeah, but it it does that with like there's something like with Steed's umbrella where the film has clearly like what is the defining trait of Steed? It's that he has an umbrella and he so knows what, how to what, use it. What we except need to... in the bloody rain. There's the scene when he comes out of the foam box into the snow and just thought. It's snowing quite heavily. Now would be a time to use your umbrella for the purpose it was intended. But like the entire movie is structured to give Steed... And again, this is something I I kind of like about the movie that's not good. Is that (laughs) it's entirely structured around giving Steed's problems that he can solve using his umbrella. Like to the point where the you could argue the entire use of weather 
as the villainous motif in the film is because is he to has play a into his brawly. There, um, there is a weird part when they're they're in like the the final fight and he pulls a he pulls sword a sword out. out of his umbrella. So now he's left with the handle of the umbrella and and just the um, the handle the, the part sword. of the umbrella that's um, is not the handle. That, yeah, yeah that, there is a point that screens where, the yeah. and then and then he goes back. Grabs another handle, so he has a second umbrella, which is still just a normal umbrella. You're trying while, to while, oh. while he has a sword umbrella in his other hand. It's like Logic how many umbrellas did you, you bring with you? Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and there is a point where during the fight he's fighting with the sword handle in one hand and the umbrella, uh, the rest of the umbrella in the other hand, what, presumably trying to keep the tidal waves that are lashing against <laughs> him away. Like put the unauthorized entry. Umbrella down and fight for God's sake! He just Priorities. Like picked up a like like there there was it's like there was an argument over like <laughs> I I feel he should have uh, that the umbrella should be a sword um, uh, and the other is like no it's an umbrella it's good enough that it's an umbrella it's like an umbrella as a weapon um, he can just pick up a sword from somewhere yeah, the else false, the, and they, they couldn't the agree on what they were going to yeah. do we'll do both. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. It reminds me of like, and you you see this conversation with like people who write, say, car- Justice League cartoons or Justice League comics about Aquaman, right? Because Aquaman is part of the Justice League, right? And Aquaman's big thing is that he's all about fish and about water and stuff like that. So that means that every time you write a Justice League story with Aquaman in it, you have to create a very specific problem that only Aquaman can solve. So it's like Superman arrives and it's like, well, this crime has been committed, but the only witness is a dolphin. Or Batman's there and he's like, well, the Joker got away, but he's hiding in that big lair out in the ocean. And the bat, you know, the bat boat is in the shop. Aquaman, could you do us a solid here? And Meanwhile, it, John Steed has a brolly. And it How can like, we use that? That's it. It feels like the Avengers is drawn from the same principle. It's like, well, our hero has an umbrella. We need to give him a series of problems that he can solve with the umbrella. It seems like it would be it would be a thing where it's like, well, he has this umbrella that's also a sword. This is a situation where he can't use it because he'll immediately get struck by lightning. So he'll he'll have to he'll use have to think of, 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 of other um he'll 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 have to like look at these kind of like reserves of of um innovation that he's never yet explored. With the umbrella. It's like you're waiting for the moment where he realizes what he can do with the umbrella and it's like, no, he's arrived there. Yeah, this is kinda of, and this is one of the things about it. He's Indy. indoors as well yeah. with this umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just bad manners, really. And bad luck. And with the hat as well. Like the yeah. moment where Connery throws darts at the hat and he's like, you'll pay for that. And I'm like, well, Steve, you probably shouldn't be wearing that hat indoors either. It's just bad form. It, the, and Connery does the, the Bond villain thing of like, oh, they're arriving. <laughs> let them I'll in. just let them <laughs> yeah. in. And then it's like, um, and then it's like, now stop them. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, no more than London being empty of people. It's like all these layers and his house. No bodyguards, no security. And he has Eddie Izzard, who's willing to shake some cables. I am. Uh, a... Which is the most. Like, I, like, the, the film has many awful moments, but like but that, one of them. But that moment really stands out for like the modesty of its awfulness. Oh, like and it's much just... to be modest about. Yeah. Um, but it's it's like we we have a scene where Peel is going to wrestle with Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard, who's been quietly menacing for most of the movie, so he's going to do something innovative, right? And his innovative strategy consists of. Wiggling the wire up and down and wait, wait, wait. 
taking out a thick knife. Um, Every time he comes to her, for for her, she like kicks or punches him away. Yeah, yeah it's, it, they're like, not even they, matched, and they they leave him until the end. Yeah, like her her sister dies on a, a balloon. By the way, I, I I was looking at that scene and I was like, that that's Uganda house. That that's the um, it's uh, it's just. Because they, they crash into... They knock Nelson's column okay. off... off uh, they knocked uh, off the, the statue, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Um, and they're like in front of uh, Admiralty Arch. I used to work um, at a hotel um, in the building next to it. Mm. But they, 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 that's, uh, that's the headquarters of the kind of like the... The weather, weather company that they have. Yes. I was yeah. thinking, oh. Weather Wonderland. Wonderland like, weather. Wonderland weather, there's, completing there's the Alice in Wonderland motif. There's Indeed. a Nero coffee there. And a Pret a Manger. And they're all gone now. Um, but yeah, like, there, there's a whole host of like stuff like that that's really underwhelming. Like, what exactly? Like, I think I'm a fairly cine literate dude. I think I've watched enough movies to understand how they work and like what's actually happening when it unfolds on yeah. screen. So, like, what happened with Alex de Winter at the end? So Steed stabs him with the sword. Oh, oh he, yes. He, and he gets struck by lightning and then suddenly he rises. I think he's been raptured, basically. Well, like, I he, think he becomes the weather. <laughs> because he, like, he gets struck by lightning and he's, um, he's um, what's his name? Ramirez or the, the Spaniard. From, from Highlander. Uh, from Highlander. <laughs> he gets struck by lightning and then carried up and then eventually, the last <laughs> shot, I think, is like just a few frames where you see his face. It's like he's become sort of this, this, this big red kind of like demon head or something where he's, oh, he's it, just it, kind of crazy. lava. Um, yeah. But uh, he, I he like gets carried away into the sky. Yeah. Part of me was wondering if it was set up for like, you get a line earlier in the movie where they're talking about like his crazy theories that aliens are controlling the weather. And part of me was wondering, like, if, back that, for if that was the big reveal, if it was going to end with him being abducted and waking up on a spaceship going, oh, my God, it's right. I, I don't know why I tried doing some accents. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, I like the idea of him becoming the weather, just uh, him rising up and just going, Mother Nature, that is her. <laughs> oh, it's, it's silly. Yeah, that was, you was, that the po- was that the moment that lost you? <laughs> I like, we got like, that far. <laughs> we were so far. And then there's a really just awful. with Mother Nature and it's like, you'll remember nothing. <laughs> yeah, oh can we? I feel like we haven't dwelled on how creepy enough that Bill yeah, Crosby like, sequence is. Yeah, it's like no one will believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like because they have, and it's done in the same stuff. Like, yeah, it's evoking, like it's evoking the um, the sort of James Bondness because you have the scene where he plays a croquet with mother. He's like, "Shall we double the bet?" Which is a reference to Goldfinger. Father, what? by the way. Father, sorry, apologies. We're playing with father, and it's like, shall we double the bet? Which is a reference to Goldfinger. Mm. The scene where she's tied down with the thing above her is it's very not much, unlike Goldfinger. It's, that's it. It's 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 very much evoking Goldfinger. Yes, yeah, well. but that's the thing. Why would you cast James Bond? Cast James Bond in these scenes in this film that could do so much with that and play with it, and yeah. it's just dumb. It and does even, nothing with it. Even the scene where he threatens the world. And he's wearing the kilt and you get that gloriously phallic kilt shot. Oh yeah, um, just zooms in on his spar. And I'm just thinking, yeah. don't ever zoom in on any grey hairs just in that whipping, area ever yeah. again. It's just whipping, it's just moving in the wind. I, I feel like he's just, in, like Connery demanded, for this scene, I want to be in a kilt. But no, no, and no, that's it. <laughs> part, part of me suspects though that it's like, again, and this is maybe me giving it too much credit, is it's playing with the James Bond cliche of like the villain 
who is like ridiculously exaggerated as what that they are. would be like, fine if I found the film intentionally yeah. funny, which yeah. it never is. Because this is like a Bond villain. I don't know the the teddy bear scene. Don't get me wrong, I laughed at it a lot, but I besides it. I don't think the teddy bears were intended necessarily as funny. I think, well, I think they're meant to be surreal. Yeah. And it, and it works surreal, well Surreal, yes. Funny, probably I think them looking at each other, though. Yeah. It's, it's like, or even the bit where, like, where Steed is, like, investigating this. And he hasn't thought to put on the teddy bear costume. Which is a shame, because you get the great moment where he pulls off the mask and he's still got the bowler hat on. By that way, would have been funny. He's throwing these poison darts at these people who are in these big, thick... layers are clearly quite big. Yeah. It makes no sense. Well, I mean, like, you do have that sequence later on with the globe where he hits it with his cane. But again, like, this is the... Oh, it like, goes well, into the screen. Into the, camera. into the camera. But this is very much like, this is the movie doing, like, a Bond villain where you exaggerate their nationality or whatever, like, you know, Ivan the emotionless Russian killing machine, or you affect Koto as, like, this Caribbean drug lord who's also into voodoo or whatever. This is, like, doing that but what if he was British or Scottish particularly and it's like well of course he's great at golf like of course he's got a great backswing um, I don't know maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it um, yeah nah, you can have that one it's about it, it makes more sense than anything in the movie but I do love the idea of like a Bond villain who's British but Scottish as like I'm, a kind of a 90s thing his his buy-in for this is like he he's bought off the ministry and a whole lot of scientists and he's given them each a million dollars each um uh, one for, million dollars <laughs> yeah and but not but, pound no so never pound so he, sp- he spends say what there's like um 12 of them yeah um. Let, 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 let's say there's like other costs. It, the 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 <laughs> thing he's gonna get from this is I, w- I was wondering when when he's 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 at this thing. It's not the UN because this isn't the universe. The Council yeah. of yeah. Ministers or something. It's the Council like that. of Ministers where you have all of these um, stereotypes, like guys wearing fezzes <laughs> yeah. and, and, and military dictators wearing military uniforms. And of course, yeah. they meet on St. Swithin's Day. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, but but I was thinking during that, I was like, how what? Um, how much can they give? How much is he? How much is he going to charge for this? Obviously, he needs to set it at a price where, that like people will be able to pay. And it's like 10, <laughs> and at the same 10% time, offset of his gross national uh, of the GDP product. of Great Britain is what he wants from Britain alone. Yeah, yeah, and so, then from from each from each country according to their. I means. was about to say, I'm imagining like smaller countries being like, woo! <laughs> like, <laughs> so what are you going to do? Country, if if they were able to just. D- divvy up enough. Off. They and could have any temperature they wanted, yeah. any climate they liked. It's like, well, we're actually in mass amounts of debt, so this is working very well for us. Yeah, um, uh, and I think you have to you have to create like areas of low pressure and areas of high pressure. Andrew, look at you trying to apply Sub-Saharan logic to Africa, like, are also going to have like we've never had such great weather. I love the idea. How, also, are, how are you ransoming like Australia? Well, you've got heat waves at the moment. So how would you guys like some snow? I, sorry, I've got to stop doing the voice. No, don't yeah. ever stop. In fact, talk like, like that always from now on. No, um, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, the, the evil plan has makes no logical sense. I do, I do love. <laughs> really, 
I do love though that like this is and then this is like my pet like nineties nostalgia kick going on. It's so nineties. It it's, is. It's global warming. It's like this is like basically there's no cold war anymore. So, so let's make a movie where global warming. Remember is Remember in the nineties when we were worried about global warming? Yeah, well, remember, before we knew the facts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's that, they're, that they're all fake. But yeah, this is around the time. Like, didn't we close the hole over the ozone um, in the nineties? Like over, it was, over. It was the, it was the early two thousands, I think, and we got. Great. Problem solved. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Well, this is, again, this is, like, when the 90s, when we thought we had less to worry about. But I do love that the movie is very consciously, like, geared towards that. And you have that same, like, and again, this is not a comparison in terms of quality, to be absolutely clear. But you have that same question, and you can see it simmering through, even if it's never articulated, about, like, what is reality? Where you have, like, obviously the, the diagnosis appeal... <laughs> Where, where Steed is like, well, you're clearly deranged, psychosis, paranoid, you have this sort of thing. Or where Father has her captive and is like, are you feeling real? Does, does this How real do you How, feel, yeah. Mrs. Peel? They have and some moments. Wordplay. It's wordplay because they're British and intelligent. See? It, oh, God, this is terrible. But it does have that sort of like weird 90s sort of like the world is not real. Nothing you're seeing makes any sense whatsoever. The only it issue, really doesn't. The only issue is, right, that if you're doing that sort of story, you have to suggest that there's some sort of like objective reality. If Peel were going insane and having a nervous breakdown. Then like, what is real? Then what, what is sanity? What, what is it the Truman Show? Are they living in the Truman Show? That would make so much what, sense. What does the real world of the Avengers look like? It sometimes uh, it sometimes implies that there is um, there is an obvious like confusion or uncertainty between the, uh, <laughs> what's, real re- and what's, what's, what's real and what's not. Two two characters like how how could mother possibly know which one was the real peel? <laughs> well, yeah, there is a moment where, he's show, where yeah. the the clone peel, the evil peel, it's is standing amazing. with the this made uh, with me the, laugh so much with the real peel in her hands, unconscious, like. Wait a minute. Yeah, there's the yeah. moment where, where Mother give, give says... Give me a second, I'll, do, I'll get this. Yeah, where Mother has the gun, he's like, hand over the real peel. And then she responds with, certainly, but which one? Now, to be clear, they both look like Uma Thurman, but one of them is an unstoppable killing machine in a cat suit. The other one is unconscious and draped over in her hands. It feels like this is not a tough question. Hand over the prisoner. <laughs> and it's like, which one which is prisoner? Yeah. The one who's obviously incapacitated, or the one who's carrying yeah. the and, one who's obviously and then just to cap it off, mother, uh, father knocks mother out of his wheelchair. <laughs> it really isn't Mother's Day. <laughs> oh god! Well, I mean, there's also like each the, line gets more and more oh, painful. There's also the moment where like a macaroon to figure this like uh, puzzle <laughs> to out to get it going. Yeah, I, I do love the idea that like, and then there's the moment where Steed comes out and he's like goes to help her, and he's like the balloon. They're in the balloon, and it's like really because there are. So so many other places that they would be. You run out and there's an air balloon slowly getting away. Where could they possibly what have gone? And, and not only that, it's also with nonchalance. Like you said earlier, he has the secret in his hand. The balloon, Steve. Don't mind me. Yeah. I'll just freeze to death here. But I love the idea that like, as the balloon's exploding, um, you just have Mother stroking his chin going, Huh, I wonder if the unconscious one was the fake one. <laughs> I just, the, the, Finally like, got it. The, the, the worst mode of transport as well. Yeah. So like, let's get away. Let's start this uh, weather start balloon. up this weather Literally balloon. A weather balloon. And it's like, oh, it's going off course. It's like, you mean it's not following? Like, well, I, I suppose the balloon makes. Considering sense. there's inclement weather outside, I yeah, that's surprise. <laughs> I, 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 feel like 
I for think, a man who controls the weather I think he probably could have thought this out better. the balloon as a, as a mode of transport probably just makes sense in the context of this movie because I guess he's deciding which way the wind Since is blowing this movie. that's yeah. lovely I like uh, that Andrew but I mean it also plays into and again this is the design it still gets it to crash into a building <laughs> yeah and not just a building, building into their into his into his company's headquarters but I mean this is the thing where there's like and the imagery here isn't actually that bad because you've got a whole host of this weird and again it ties back into the abstract imagery all these circles which like you get the balloon is one of them for example the ball the globe but even have like that sequence where Key and P- uh, sorry not Key and Peele Seed and Peele <laughs> 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 If this were Key and Peel in those roles, this would automatically be much improved. Um, I'm just imagining Peel in the cat suit at the moment. Actually, or, in fact, uh, Fines' impression of Key. I'd watch that all day. But the, the, even the moment where they're walking across the river in inside... In these giant hamster balls. Yes. Uh, towards a man who can control the weather, by the way. It really doesn't seem... Oh, yeah, he can't blow oh, them yeah. off, of course. Yeah. But I mean, there, there's all this, there is all this kind of nice circle imagery, which kind of, there's a sense that the production design on the movie is actually not awful. No, it, it, it would look the part if they actually knew how to shoot it. Yeah. Like you say, the framing is terrible. The editing ensures you can't see anything. And even like, I mean, to be clear, it's not the editing like we cut 20 minutes out. It's the editing like... The scene se- to scene. Like, or even within, within scene. scenes. Like within the scene where Uma Thurman is chasing the black bear that turns out to be her on the roof. Where it's re- yeah, the bear lands on her and <laughs> the there's this weird long fat zoom up the building to her punching the he- head off the bear to yeah. reveal the clone. There's another moment where Mother arrives at the house with Peel and Steed and, and you have this crazy Steed. camera Crazy zoom. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. It's like Bill and Ted. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, you listeners can't see myself and Phil reeling in and out from the microphone. But, you but we actually are. You can probably hear us. appreciate the effect. There's a whole host of things like that. Or even like... And there's some of the bits I love, like the bit where Steed walks around the corner and there's a little red bear in the lift and he just points like, J'accuse, <laughs> Which is just beautiful. But you also get like a lot of these weird like moments where the camera isn't positioned well so you have no idea who's chasing whom or why. He gets to the basement and they're throwing the red bear costume into a skip. Yeah. Right outside the place where they had the meeting. It's like, I think that that's because like Eddie Izzard's character isn't one of his co- conspirators from the ministry or the science he's just he's just a um, a grunt a henchman henchman. and he doesn't want to have to explain his evil plan to him after having explained it to (laughs) all of the other guys I have one question why would you I I love the idea sorry just uh, we'll come back to this but I love the idea that this ties back into your whole like revolt against the working class is that like (laughs) the reason that Winter has this meeting with the teddy bears the teddy bears picnic isn't so that they can't know each other it's so that he doesn't want to explain that he has a member of the help in the room with them (laughs) the only way that he could think about justifying it to all these upper class people was to make them dress as giant teddy bears sorry Phil no my only question is why would you cast one of the most uh, charming and wittily gifted speakers in all of comedy as a mute yeah it makes no sense. And I actually, I believe that. As well. And with the he weird sideburns, I believe he actually does that have was one line. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what two words? Oh yeah, great, great words they are too. But uh, like, actually, I read that yeah, that was actually Izard's idea to be mute. Really? And I cannot make any sense of that. In fact, why wasn't he cast the villain? He'd up the camp. He'd give the speeches a bit more um, personality. I don't think it'd be quite as creepy as Connery. Uh, but it would just feed into the fun of it. He he doesn't make sense as a final uh, uh, villain, or even as a penultimate villain. Or, yeah, yeah, final yeah. appeal. No. Like, it would, like it he's would, not it a physical threat at all. He's just yeah. 
It is art. Yeah, again, like that. I find him more threatening if he was wearing that that orange <laughs> overcoat he wore in definite article. I love and the, the lippy. I love the slow moment reveal of oh my god, he's got a flick knife. Like, like this is the moment where it's like Alex de Winter has a cane and the ability to control the weather. His henchman has a flick knife. Has a flick knife the, and can wiggle a wire. Yeah, the clone is um, the clone of of Peel is proud probably n- n- not. Very clever. Like the, 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 like, no, she's there's a the moment where she she shoots <laughs> she shoots Steed, Steed in the, the snow, yeah, and then and then walks like, oh. away. It's like Didn't any, anyone who's killed somebody nothing? in the snow will know that <laughs> it's very like, clear. Blood is very visible on <laughs> snow. snow. Yeah, yeah, very and, atmospheric. And of course, after that, uh, the real peel gets Steed back to her place. We've no idea how. No, no, no. Much like after she escapes that little um, uh, Penrose yeah. steps. Uh, no, but how she gets into the Penrose steps? Yeah, that, that makes well. no sense yeah. either. Yeah. Uh, couldn't she just walk back out? Uh, but Why she escaped from that. And we have no idea window. how they get home yeah. because, like, the, the for if 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 Connery's um, if if August the Winter is playing a Bond villain, the perfect way for for Peel's visits to his um, his lair to end. Would be to reveal to her that um, that Steed is dead, <laughs> and it's like, oh, um, is this your friend? Yeah, but it's like, oh, take your time leaving, because yeah. um, and she's like, uh, must spend ages like looking for him, yeah. <laughs> and eventually oh. find him. There's a lot of like, like the lacunas in this movie are like, so she had to, she had to pick him up. Yeah. Um, and, take, and drag take him, him out of the car. There's yeah. a moment after the the weather balloon explodes, and Steed Steed is, uh, yeah. I, I I I guess, kind of like he's looking at like his GPS, kind of running along. As soon as which as, is in a pocket watch, of course. Yeah. Of course. As, as 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 soon as the weather balloon explodes, then it's like, well, we better get to Hyde Park. <laughs> it's like 25 uh, minutes away, but but. But the place is covered oh, in snow. And we, and and we no have to collect our hamster balls in the way. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be absolutely no issues getting there. I mean, like, and there, there are a lot of things like that. Like even the, the really awful cut from when they pop up in the golf ball on the river. And it's like, I feel like we deserve some champagne. And it cuts to them having champagne with mother. Which is very weird because it seems like I it should be I don't feel they should deserve be a cup some of tea. champagne. <laughs> I and I think they especially don't deserve a macaroon. Indeed not. Mother's favourite. Um, but yeah, oh. it's it's a very strange, very weird film. Apparently, the bees, the bees were an addition by Warner Brothers because it feels like well, that's one of the like we're literally just checking off weird things it's, in the it's movie. About the, it's the only action scene in the film, yeah. really well. Re, yeah, the final act does not count. Um, yeah, it's an attempt to inject a bit of action in, and it's and again, silly. this it's is one of those really, weird really nineties really fixations where you had like colony collapse disorder around that time as well. You had stuff like the X Files movie the previous summer so had made a bit of money. None of these things are concerns anymore. anymore. I know nineties nostalgia. It's great, isn't it? But like you had like bees disappearing and stuff like that in the late nineties. It's very strange the the kind of picture you have of the nineties. It's like remember, folks, this is the nineties when we were worried about climate change and bees. Well, the, um, the, uh, dying out. I'm not pretending that bees aren't still dying out and climate change is an issue. I'm just saying. We're a lot less worried about them than we should be now. Like we, we, we were more, more worried then. We were more worried then, which is paradoxical. Like we were actually concerned about stuff like Who that. Who was? Uh, people in general. Like there were more sort of like. Really? Are you, Andrew? 
Okay, I, I remember there being a big thing about the hole over the ozone and having to cut off the, you know, those what those things called CFC, the CFCs. Well, from CFCs what and experience stuff. are we speaking from? Darren's. Okay, from my, from my own <laughs> memory. Like, as a child. Like, yeah, but remember when, like, they, they had to change the way they built refrigerators to, like, cut down on greenhouse gas emissions. Tamagotchis. Do you remember Tamagotchis? Okay, fine. Remember in the noughties when they changed the way light bulbs worked? Did remember they? those old incandescent light bulbs? Yes. Just can't get them anymore. That was a very noughties thing. Spice yeah. Girls. Do you remember them? <laughs> just showed how interested people were. The, Darren, sorry, we don't mean to general, but just... Point. Yeah, the, I don't think the concerns have changed all that no, much. No, they haven't changed all that much, but we've engaged with them a lot less, I think. I think we're a lot less concerned about climate change than we should be. I'll be honest, I, I, ju- I, ju- I just think this is you giving the film a lot more credit than it deserves. Fine. Fine. But bless you for trying. I, I am trying. I want, I want, I want the film to... Something that happened in the 60s. I, 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 sorry, in the 90s. <laughs> I, 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 I think the, the is it, isn't there um, that the, this, this kind of thing has been coming ever since... Uh, people the saw the Earth from space. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and 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 and, and that, that the well, that, the environmental that, movement of the seventies. The stuff ecological like that. perspective was yeah. being able to kind of like see see the Earth as this kind of like blue, um, uh, precious blue marble and stuff like that. That's the argument that that, that image from space inspired the entire environmental movement of the seventies, like the Greenpeace revolution and stuff like that. And that's fair. And I think it is. But I think that it's also fair to say that in the 90s, there was an explosion of interest sort of in these topics, just looking at like contemporary 90s television, stuff like Star Trek doing its metaphors for ecological sort of climate change, stuff like that. The X-Files with its sort of idea of what happens to the world when it dies due to, you know, whatever happening. That sort of stuff. Like, I, I don't deny that was probably a trend in popular media at the time. But again, it's the Avengers. Okay, okay, I'm just... I'm just trying to engage with the movie on a level that makes it make some sort of sense. Sense. And the only you watch way, the thing. The you know what makes no sense. The only way that I can get from killer bees to climate change and double control. entendres. Surely, <laughs> for, for it to relate to you in an on important way. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm really, really fond of, uh, yeah, the fact the bees have stinger missiles is enough of itself, as I pointed out. Um, but I also quite like the, uh, uh, I've always appreciated a woman who is meteorologically inclined. It's not really a pun, That's, but it's just a really I'm, I'm, terrible I'm sorry, line. but unless you're actually trying to chat up a, a, a woman who presents the weather. What? <laughs> meteorologically inclined. There's all of, yeah, you there's... do know all the lines. Oh, you. These are all the cuts from the movie. Um, like, like the the response to it, he was like, "I do like a woman who's meteorologically inclined, <laughs> if you know what I mean." And she's like, "No, not really. Explain that." He's like, "Bruh." <laughs> <laughs> was that the sound effect? Or the, um... Anyway. <laughs> Oh, um, I also love, like, while we're talking about small moments that we love, because this is just, like... It's full of them. It's as incoherent as the movie itself. The little moment where after Peel's clone dies by being rammed into a billboard on top of an air balloon that explodes in the middle of a snowstorm in Trafalgar Square, which is just a great way to go, um, (laughs) there's the moment where where Peel is... Sorry, where Steed is helping Peel up, and she says, uh, yes, your clone? And she says, dispatched. Sad in a way. And it's like, what? Like, like, you can't just, like, gesture towards a... Well, it really brought to my attention the fragile nature of human existence, watching my clone explode inside a hot air balloon yeah, in the middle y- of a you snowstorm. You can't make us have any kind of emotion towards the character that tried to kill you and never even spoke. Well, yeah. she's like a child warrior. 
she stayed uh, like, like um, she doesn't do, doesn't understand um, <laughs> what what she's been doing has been conditioned to to yeah. to kill and but given it, what winter given what we know winter tries with the real peel it's probably yeah there's a very darker movie in there one suspects and also there is no way that snowdrift at the foot of Nilton's column was thick enough that uh, the real peel was able to survive falling from that balloon no. Yeah, I think the real the 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 assuming the she was the real peel. The stone person died. I just had to check when when they were thrown out of the the weather balloon. Yeah, and then they but just subbed with Herman in. It was oh, a yeah, my stone person. Yeah, exactly. sad in a way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she's referring to. That's the level of emoting that we get from Uma Thurman. Oh. Um, before we finish up, then is the, <laughs> then the, st- the stunt man. We're not finished yet. There's a lot <laughs> the more. The stunt these. person just looked up to the director and says. Earn this. <laughs> <laughs> Make this moment work, damn it. Yeah. Oh my god, there's inconsistencies. Like oh, the- there's, there's also the moment, and again, like while we're on the subject of people being helped up after falling down, there's the moment where Steve is punched by Peel's clone in the maze. This is after Peel's clone has fared to kill him once already. So you think that Winter would have been like, oh, by the way, when he's unconscious, just like snap kill his him. neck or something. Yeah. But like, then Alice helps him up. And Alice, Alice actually says to him the line, no time. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. And we didn't and, find out what the plan no, is. No, no, but like the way that you would edit that scene is you'd say, here's the plan. And he'd cut as she helps him up. But she says, here's the plan. And physically helps him up for a solid two seconds. So there's like a really awkward silence between them where it's like, well, are you going to tell me the plan? It's like, no, I have to wait for them to turn off the camera. Um, it's just really, really poorly put together. Because yeah, you, you just what you do is you cut on here's the plan and him taking her hand. You don't show her helping him up, and they're just being like it's like those sequences in movies where characters are traveling in cars, but obviously don't have any conversation whatsoever. So the conversation picks up when they get out of the car. It's you very expect strange. Them, you expect them almost in this movie, like seeing the rest of the movie, for it to kind of like pan to her, for the cameraman to like knock into the hedge and fall over. <laughs> and the scene ends with just yeah, the camera on, on, on the, the ground. Side, on, yeah, on with Alice side. looking at the camera going, you're all right, chap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is clearly the role Dame Eileen Atkins was made for. <laughs> well, um, hey, that classic machine gun thing. It's interesting that this is a Warner's production because there's a lot of the 90s Batman movies in there. In fact, like the sequence with the woman with the pram and the machine gun in it. It's very camp. It's very... It's very camp, but yeah. it's taken directly from Batman Forever. The sequence where Alex de Winter is... De- they, August de Winter. They, they also um, do it in um, Austin Powers. Yeah. Uh, the Spider Shag Me. That's yes. the second one. Yeah. That's the second one where Vern Troyer pops up with the machine gun as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's also the moment where August de Winter is in his little hut doing oh, the camp. With the, with the blowpipe. Um, yes, he has the yes. blow dart. Oh yeah. yes, with with the guy played by Will Ferrell. Yes, uh, yeah. but they Mustafa. have Mustafa. <laughs> <laughs> very badly injured. Um, I'm very up. badly. I'm trying to stand up. But there's the um, there's the moment where at the climax where August de Winter is like doing his evil countdown. And he's inside the globe. And it's the sequence from Batman Returns again. It's even the same female voice saying stuff like uh, weather system level six. And also the moment where they blow up Big Ben. I'm almost certain that's a leftover from the destruction scenes in Mars Attacks. Yeah, there's a it lot. It looks like it anyway. There's a lot of, Or the fact that like his base apparently self-destructs for no reason. 
as well. Was like was yeah. there? Was I, I feel like it turned I, off. It turned off, and then the generator went. got running again. Yes, auto destructor. So as soon as that happened, I just remember looking at the screen, going, "Oh, but of course, diesel generator outside." They were in like Hyde Park at the kind of where um what's that lake where the kind of serpentine and the uh princess die memorial are and, we gonna go to the fact machine and check and, and no and and the, <laughs> i like this and, just stubborn and, commitment um and this and the secret uh, meteorological lair um that's on the tour yeah uh the serpentine is the name of the lake in hyde park yes yes i um, really should have known that well, actually, you know that there are like memorial, there are like little markers around England of places where the original 1960s Avengers was shot, like little model railways and stuff like that, have placards that mark where particular episodes of the show were shot. I, I guess don't in think the movie ha- gets the same treatment. I don't think Hyde Park quite has, this is where Sean Connery's evil meteorological lair happens to be set as well. If I thought that park was, if I thought that marker was there, I might have gone to Hyde Park last time I was there. Speaking of markers, why does he, again, this is why, I feel like we're just picking at plot holes and I don't like doing And we've it. already went over the length of the movie. <laughs> we have indeed. So perhaps given it more than it deserves. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already that's worth sort of like breaking down and chatting about when it comes to the, the film? Uh, just how it fared overall, I think. Uh, like the proof is in the pudding of how disastrously this film was handled. Um, it cost 60 million in production costs. Yeah, which means it, you're probably looking at that again at distribution and financing made, and marketing. It made just about 48 and a half million. Which is not good at all. It's a huge flop. Yeah. And uh, the uh, reviews were infamously sniffy. Yeah, and they still are. This is, like, again, we talk, like, when we talk about the, the bottom 100 movies on the 250, we often have, like, moments of culture, uh, sort of, like, of reclaiming it or reassessing it. We talk about this on Spice World. I know Phil's not a fan. But as Spice World has in recent years sort of built up a cult following of people who are like, well, you know, it wasn't necessarily judged entirely fairly at the time. And, you know, with reassessment, we can kind of talk about it. Stuff like The Room, where it's, like, it's built up a cult following of people who love it. The Avengers doesn't have that. One. The Avengers no. has not had a cultural... like Despite re- those 675,000 people you mentioned <laughs> earlier. Well, I mean, one imagines they weren't particularly happy with the film when it was released. <laughs> there was, interestingly enough, there were several things to note just if we're talking about the future of it. That I mentioned the petition where the bunch of fans were like, release the director's cut. Warner Brothers offered for what is an entertainment studio an incredibly pithy response, which amounted to, we have no interest in revisiting this franchise at present. Um, which is very, very like, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to just nudge that uh, away from us. But there's a TV series that's coming from Shane Black, who you mentioned earlier. We mentioned, I think we mentioned Shane Black earlier in some context. I'm possibly. glad to hear it because like, this, this movie could have been awesome. I, I, think, I think yeah, it had like, potential, but the, it's, it had to go back to the drawing board. The concept, I think... It could work, but it has to be completely reworked in order to make it something. Yeah. Shane Black might be the person to do it. I don't know. It, 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 like, the, you think of, um, well, much much more recently um, than this um, uh, Kingsman. I haven't seen the sequel. I've yeah. heard it's not great. The sequel's not but, great. But um, the, the kind of to, to, to have that sort of level of fun with it. Yeah. yeah, and also like like um, it uses a lot of the same sort of um, visual style, I guess that with that, the tailored suit yeah, and even exactly. the umbrella. I believe that uh, the character played by um, what's his name, Colin, Colin Firth, um, got there eventually. The character played by Colin Firth also has an umbrella at certain points as well that he uses. I haven't seen King yeah. He used and it it's in a much, the and it's a much better um, uh, it's a much better weapon in um, Kingsman. In Kingsman. Than, um, than than it is in this because if 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 
if you have this um, this, uh, this special agent who just has like a bowler hat and an umbrella, you need you need you need to make that uh, bowler hat and umbrella pretty special. Yeah. Whereas at the, at, at the moment in the film, and again, it, it's partially down to the really choppy editing, where it seems like he, at certain points, it looks like he needs to take like an attempt and a half to get the umbrella to hook where he wants at certain moments. Steve is also not very, not like especially good at, um, at, 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 at swordplay. No. Like <laughs> Peel is a lot better to, than him. And the, the, the fact that he beats August the Winter doesn't really say anything. No. Because you haven't August established like whether August the Winter is very mm. good at it. And August the Winter is like twice his age as well. Yeah. yeah. It's a, like it takes him a long while to actually get, <laughs> to get the upper hand. It's, yeah. it's quite silly. Um, just in terms of the films after that then, I always kind of like, when you look at a film like this, I'd like to see what happened to all the players kind of afterwards. So ah. it finds we know has gone on from strength to strength. Uma Thurman's career only took a bit of a peak after that with Kill Bill and just kind of disappeared since. Although I think Lars von Trier has found a new muse. Oh, this I is one like where, that. Yeah, the one that has Jack built. Right? Yeah, she's also in the Nymphomaniac. Ah, okay. She's one of the best things about Nymphomaniac. She's I astoundingly good. I can't bring every... myself to watch Nymphomaniac. I really um, hate von Trier. Uh, really okay, do. fair enough. Von uh, Trier. The... No, I... <laughs> von Trier. Von Trier. Von Trier, okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, he's not for everyone. But, it's uh, it's you... great when your pronunciation is so bad that it sounds more like, <laughs> like something, something else. else. That's that's why I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> um, Connery, of course, disappeared after this. Uh, for... And then came back for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which somehow isn't on the bottom 100, mm. which is interesting. And this kind of this is something I find interesting when I talk about this being like a blockbuster from the 90s. This is like, I don't... Do you think that it will be possible to see a major studio blockbuster ever making the bottom 100 again in this era of like fandom like no, consensus I, and stuff possibly like yeah. I mean it, it if has Justice to be, League couldn't do it if it, Batman vs Superman it has to be a special it. kind of bad and I think studios are wary of making that now because like like you said Justice League w- didn't get on the list but it did cost Warner Brothers quite a bit of money it did but it has so, a rating around 6.6 out of 10 which is there's a you know, I mean, and everybody has their own taste and all that sort of stuff. I think people would be more aware of letting something this bad get out to the public. They ah. they do something else. They dump it sooner than that. They can dump it on but, Netflix but now. So what do they care? That's the thing is that I don't think I don't think you get a movie like this made anymore because the studio would be much more involved and proactive, and you'd end up with something that had a lot of the rougher edges filed off. In that you'd com- almost completely reshoot it from scratch in order to prevent, rather than cutting it or sort of releasing it as it is. Oh, um, let's see. Uh, just uh, looking through the film details as well. Uh, shout out to some of the smaller cast members. So, uh, you spotted Keely Halls? Yes, big fan of Keely Halls. And Spooks. How old was she when she made this? Because this would have been before Spooks. So, I'm guessing... This uh, would have she been, like... been out 22. Jesus, that's... Yeah, makes me feel very, very old. Also known as uh, Carmen Diogo, who has more recently been seen in the likes of uh, Born to be Blue and uh, Alien Covenant. Who was she in Alien Covenant? Uh, she was the ship's medic. Ah, okay, cool, cool. Uh, also in this, Sean Ryder. Yes, he plays the I driver. Thinking, He's one of the happy I was thinking he there were probably one of that gang were an actual Yeah, um, Sean Ryder, the like lead singer of the Happy Mondays yeah. is in this. And yeah. it, that makes no he sense. He was he was apparently very good like they were, the studio were worried about him being on set and stuff like that. Apparently As they're right they should be. Apparently he was quite reasonable to work with, although he did have three minders and two bodyguards, according and to And all the for like two words of dialogue. Yeah. Also Grand Theft Auto's Sean Ryder. He plays n- 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 numerous uh, roles in Grand Theft Auto. Oh, okay. I think he appears in Vice City, in um, San Andreas, uh, GTA Five. Oh, okay. That's, makes sense to me. Yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. 
But yeah, it, it's weird. Like, I don't think that you'd ever get another studio film on here. And it's interesting that so many 90s films, like Batman and Robin and this, which were tentpoles, for lack of a better word, made the list. But you never get... Like, you mentioned, like, Alien Covenant, which is a film which I have a soft spot for, but a lot of people absolutely loathe. Batman, Superman, you're talking about, you know... Is that the, the one with the really tall... Um... Alien. Um, aliens with the they they look. That's Prometheus. They, but, ah, but the sequel I like to that Prometheus. is. I quite like Prometheus a lot as well. I don't. <laughs> but yeah, you'd never. I don't think you'd ever get another studio blockbuster on there because audiences are so polarized, and you have like these people campaigning to vote to ensure that like yeah, they, a major they will film, they will stay above a certain level. Yeah, uh, which is is kind of interesting and disheartening in a way because I think this is perhaps a more interesting failure than some of the bad blockbusters we've got recently. Absolutely. I'm thinking of like Thor The Dark World, which is not a not an awful film. But it's, it's just a lifeless. Cutter. Yeah, it's just lifeless and empty. This is not lifeless. It No, there is, it is going for something a bit more... It's trying to be energetic. It's just, it just undermines itself yeah. constantly. But there is an, there's an attempt there at something. Like the attempts at surrealism. It wants to be something... Yeah. A bit more, a bit different, but it can't be. And it doesn't know how, and it fails spectacularly. And the studio that. won't allow it anyway. But, I, yeah, I, I feel like you wouldn't get away with that today. Or Andrew's sort of looking a bit sceptical, I think, or a bit sort of... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how, 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 how this can be compared to stuff like um, uh, Thor The Dark World. I know, I know like, you, you have your problems with Thor The Dark World, and if people didn't like it as much as, as the, 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 other as, as the movies that sandwich it. Um, but it, 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 like you, you, you can at least you can at least see why that was released as a movie. You can see like, oh yeah, it's kind of like um, uh, uh, competent enough. Like, and also, it's not it had a more or less an in- but it also had at least an inbuilt audience. People who want to see more Thor, see yeah. more of the Avengers. Yeah. So that only makes sense. This like this is nothing to go on. All right, I just find I just find the oddness. You know, I, I appreciate no, I appreciate the attempt at oddness as well. It's just, and I know admitting it doesn't else. work, and admitting no. that it's awful, and admitting that many of the side effects of that oddness are. I'd, you know, a I'd like of to borrow a phrase from you, Darren. It's bad, but it's bad in interesting ways, and I, I think that sums up the Avengers quite nicely. I want that to be written on my tombstone. He was bad, but he was bad in interesting ways. Nah, we can't um, ever say that. But yeah, no, I, I, I kind of... So I do. I, I find it sort of interesting. But I think that about wraps it up in terms of discussion. Oh, uh, Chichnik, by the way, it should be noted that the film was so bad and his experience making the film was so terrible... He never did a feature again, I don't think. He, went, he basically went into exile. He travelled the world and visited war zones. He went to, like, Africa... Uh, Eastern Europe, uh, sort of around the Middle East and stuff. He became he was a photographer. Um, he'd originally been in advertising, um, sort of. Uh, yeah, he directed a few music. He directed videos, a few music like videos and commercials, and that's where Kubrick Kubrick spotted him, and Kubrick mentioned him in an interview, and that's how he got his first film. Which in I June. Think, was Ben and June his first one, or was that it was one of his first? One of his first ones. He also did National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. As yeah, well. That's right. I want to know. I want to watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The, 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 um, he, I suppose, in in Christmas twenty nineteen, so which let's is see the next Christmas after when we're recording it. Yeah, so let's, of course. <laughs> let's get this. Let's see if we can get the vote out for that one. Uh, but no, he he, he yeah. did. He retired into sort of like he, he's like with more or less into TV. He's done episodes of things like Helix and yes. Burn Notice, um, and he directed oh. a TV feature for um, FX as well. Is it Meltdown? I think it's called. Um, um, I'm on the. Fact but that machine. was basically how he was sort of. He was dragged every time. But he basically said he would never direct a feature film again, and he suspected he would never be allowed to direct a feature film again. Uh, yeah. But he's, he's he's talked about how like he feels like 
And he feels really bad about his ownership of the movie because if it had been the version he wanted to make and it had been awful, he'd at least be able to take ownership of it. He'd at least be able to say, it's bad, but it's mine. Yeah. He wasn't able to tell on Smithy yet. Yeah. Now, now he's like, it's bad. And like... But it's not even my bad. 30% of it is me, but rearranged in an odd way. So I, and I can't, like, I can't say to you, well, my version would have been great because we don't know that. So he's talking about how that puts him in a very odd position as a, like, as a director or as somebody who made something. That's very, well, awful. Well, he's always well, got the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Benny and June, so... Yeah, but, like, like I, 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 like a lot of the movie would, 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 would still be bad. Like, like, the, 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 um, it, 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 just kind of, like, the, uh, dramatic sort of, uh, uh, choices don't really kind of make sense. We see looking at the movie... Yeah. ...that, that, okay, the, like, it's very difficult to think... Of kind of like what version of the movie would be not all. There might be a lot more kind of interesting uh, sort of, sort of, sort of exposition that might kind of um, explain things a little bit better, but um, or more surrealism and more teddy bears. Yeah. But I think that about wraps it up. So what we might do is we normally ask our guests to recommend something that they're enjoying or even to plug something that they're doing. So if listeners are looking for something and you'd like to bring a bit of joy into their lives, you know, what would you recommend? Um, so I'm going to ask. Andrew, first, do you have something that you're enjoying at the moment that you'd like to share with the listeners at home? When, whenever you're listening to this, either the second season of Dream Gun Film Reads has ah. is 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 either um, coming, oh, has already been, or has just been, or if you're listening to this far in the future, it's it's it's, it's long it's, ago it's and they're on now season twenty five. The yeah. paywall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, do they do that? Do they bury their the, past episodes in the paywall? In the archive. No, I think the paywall is actually that you can listen to things in the future. Ah, okay, cool. Um, so um, yeah, um, have a listen to that. Basically, uh, Dream Gone Film Reads is a podcast where they rewrite um, uh, scripts to um, to popular movies. And have um, like with a kind of a comic edge and do table and they, readings of them. yeah exactly yeah. where um, they did a very good Die Hard one as I recall yes yeah mm. they they um, they ha- they will probably have now uh, by now have released um, the Matrix and um, and Miracle on Thirty uh, Fourth Street oh their Christmas sort of episode yeah and they hmm. they they they're prob- probably probably sold out at this point of the Lord of the Rings um, yeah. uh, cycle which will be recorded in March but um, yeah all right and Phil if you had to recommend something for no, I've not, nothing television show mind. book not album you've caught me completely off the, off uh, on the spot here so. okay well I'll I'll, I'll go then <laughs> you I've go, you um, go. Because this is sort of vaguely Britannia related and surrealism related and so oh, like, yeah, the listeners should know there are quite some some questions that that Darren asked. There there isn't, um, I suppose, an, an, an expectation yeah, that, these, the, that that the person has prepared an answer. Yes, sorry. like Andrew. Tell us about the first time you saw a bad movie. Curveball. <laughs> 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 It was your decision not to script the podcast. <laughs> but um, no, so I, I, I would recommend, because we watched something that's very British themed, that's very sort of, you know, 60s focused, I would recommend, I've been going back and I've been watching some classic Doctor Who because they've been releasing it on Blu-ray. They've been releasing the sort of like 60s, 70s and 80s iterations of the show on there. So like, for example, Tom Baker's first year, John Pertwee's uh, fourth year, um, Sylvester McCoy's final year, Peter Davison's first year as well. 
and they're interesting. It's it's kind of like <laughs> not making a great sell, but they're, <laughs> they're like they're not good. <laughs> this is what we're getting at here. No, they are. There are moments where they're transcendental. There are also moments when they are terrible. And there's also moments where they're terrible in not only interesting, but kind of joyful ways. There's a moment where in like 1974, Tom Baker predicts Alien, but with bubble wrap and green paint instead of like an actual production design. And it's kind of amazing to watch. It's that sort of stuff. So I've been going back and enjoying that if we're talking about like the tradition of like vaguely surrealist. Stephen Moffat's. <laughs> um, no, uh, Chris Chibnall at this point. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Chibnall took over this year. I've not been particularly impressed, unfortunately. I've uh, been rewatching some of the Moffat stuff as well. Um, Where do you find the time? Ah, see what you did we discussed there. this morning <laughs> how, how, how Darren has more time for doing things. That's not for public consumption. <laughs> no. Thank you. Uh, listeners can speculate what Phil and Andrew do that Darren doesn't that may give him more free time to spend on. Answers on the back of a postcard and please tweet at us to let us know the best responses we may or may not read out on the next episode. Um, Phil, have you come up with anything? Is there anything you would like to recommend? Nope. Just, okay, cool. That's really not even the thing that... Uh, nope, never mind. All right. So... Uh, next week we will likely be back uh, who are we kidding we may or may not be covering the actual Avengers movie with Tony Black if he hasn't been disappeared by Thanos um, but in the meantime if people are looking to find you online so if they're looking for a bit of Phil a bit of Andrew in their lives where can they find you guys uh, well I have a Twitter account that I never check I reactivated it against all my best judgement well you went to the London Film Festival with it I believe I did and you know because people deserve to know my opinions Ha. Uh, at Cynical Film you can you know, find me there tweet me I, I don't bite it's the internet I can't and uh, A-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A um, on Twitter I always like that you have to spell your Twitter handle <laughs> I, I, I just I'd like Aquiniuqua Aquiniuqua yeah, I, I like that. Spelled exactly as it sounds, listening. Um, <laughs> Follow the letters. To be fair, Andrew did have a Twitter account before he had a podcast. He didn't know that it was going to be an audio medium friendly Twitter handle. You can follow the podcast at, at the 250. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're everywhere you want to be, baby. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been getting some, actually been getting some surprisingly good response lately. And we're very, very happy with that. And we just want to say thank you very much to our listeners. It's been phenomenal. We're very proud of it. Uh, but anyway, take it easy. We'll be back next week. Bye. Ta-ta. Cheerio. Pip-pip. <laughs> <laughs>